does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Happy Friday to you on Query and Company from the DriveHuber.com studios. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, and Garrison behind the ones and twos. IndyCar business calls for one Jake Query. Fear not, he'll be back in here on Tuesday. That's right. It'll be a day off, as has been talked about a little bit briefly on the send-off from for the wake-up call where we'll have national syndication, local programming, getting a bit of a day off to celebrate the Labor Day weekend. But for you, the the, the beat goes on. Beat James goes on. Boyd with got us. practice, baby. Talking to Shane Steichen in open locker room. You excited? I'm always excited. They had open <laughs> locker room yesterday for the first time this season, and it felt like, okay, we're getting to games because it felt normal. It felt like I was in a routine, and so I'm excited for that. Obviously, the family has to understand that duty calls on sure. Monday, but I'm excited for it because I think that we've been itching and scratching for real Anthony Richardson tape and film and analysis, and we can no longer use excuses of preseason or when you something good. It's like, oh, it's just preseason. Real games are coming. I said this yesterday. From now, this weekend... From now until February, pretty much, give or take the day off or the week off of the Super Bowl, it's football from here on out every weekend. It's, Look, a, it's a beautiful thought. It really is. I'm not going to complain. There was a TikTok, I don't know if you saw, where the husband handed his wife like a cease and desist and basically said <laughs> for the next four months or so, you know, I'll not be available on, you know, Saturdays, Sundays, Thursday nights, Monday nights. And so that, I thought that was hilarious because that's very fitting of my actual life. I found a lot in my TikTok algorithm about where my sports mindset is at times. And yes, variations <laughs> of that cease and desist contracts, uh, husbands or boyfriends going up to their wives or girlfriends with the schedule in hand. Babe, it's here. Football is back. And some openly weeping, some excited because maybe they're you know getting space finally from their significant <laughs> other and some equally hyped because that's just what football's able to yeah, do bring everybody together my mom is like that she's into the games she's always watching and giving her analysis and it's always funny because you know she doesn't know what a cover two is you know two safeties being high i didn't know what that was like two years ago but all that to say she knows when a play is not good because she will criticize and criticize. Like, why did you throw that ball to that man when you knew he was there? And it's like, he didn't realize that he was going to be there, Mom. But no, it'll be fun because I think that, again, it's always exciting to have actual games happen because, to me, it just cuts away a lot of the nonsense, the noise. We don't want to be too critical of a team or a player. Eddie Garrison is walking about the studio, and the reason I'm sharing that is because I didn't ask him ahead of time. This is a rookie mistake on my part on pronunciation here, but I had a gentleman and a couple of different brothers and sisters that had this same last name where I went to high school at Ron Colley. So I'm going to pronounce it this way until Eddie gets clarity for me when he's done writing on the board. Best handwriting in media, by the way, Eddie Garrison. That's undefeated. That's an unquestioned statement. I'm actually not going to argue that. Mine's awful. I, I, I implore somebody to give me a better answer because it is Eddie Garrison. But Nathan Yonke of Pro Football Focus, he's their lead fantasy analyst. He is going to take some time with us at 1245. That's right. Usually this weekend, 
is reserved by a number of people for their fantasy football drafts. It's the last weekend before the NFL season begins. It is obviously the Labor Day weekend, so you have that extra Monday buffer period off of where you can place when you want to have your drafts. And on top of that, you have that last week of practice behind you. You're hopefully avoiding and mitigating any injury risk and ready to have your draft. So we're going to have a conversation with Nathan Yankee about a number of things. This won't be the, the full direction of the show. Again, we're going to devote one segment to it, the bottom of this hour. But when you are looking at fantasy football, and I know that you're not the biggest fantasy football player in the world, but you'd mentioned that before we went on the air, uh, there was some grumbling amongst your friend group that, uh, hey, what the heck? I took Jonathan Taylor, and uh, why would you give me a heads up? To which I replied, because somebody in my league took him, not in the first round, but earlier than they probably should have, where have you been? Exactly. And this is why, you know, I got fake friends, Jimmy. <laughs> because I'm like, y'all must not be reading my work, or at least my tweets. I'm like... You know, of course, I would love to you to subscribe to The Athletic, but I understand everyone's not going to subscribe and everyone's not a big reader of sports. That's fine. But I'm thinking to myself, do you not know what has been consuming my life for the last <laughs> two or three weeks? What my timeline has two or consisted three weeks? of? That's it? No, I just mean uh, as know, far as when things got really kind of, <laughs> sure, you know, sure, uh, sure. Conti- I guess since the bus. Since the, the bus, bus yes. that's when it got pretty crazy. Yep. But, I mean, it is what it is. I do think that for all those out there wondering – Zach Moss is probably going to be running back one, assuming that he's healthy enough to be available by week one. It seems like he's trending in that direction. No definitive statement just yet. But I was out there yesterday. He was throwing. The arm, no cast, looked fine. Still bigger than mine, even though he's come out of a, you know, a break or whatever. Right. And so, you know, Shane Sykes can sound optimistic about his future. If you have, and I am I'm giving Eddie one assignment today. We very rarely put work on Eddie's plate that is extra to the point. And you can feel free to, him. I don't want to work. You, you can feel free to push back against this, Eddie, but it's a very simple task. YouTube chat, you're always so active. We appreciate your listenership. And of course, listening audience on the radio, you can do the same. You can tweet him at Eddie Garrison underscore. You can tweet me at the Jay Cook. You can tweet James at Romeoville Kid. If you have a fantasy football question or two, either in the YouTube chat. Again, save it for around that 1245 range. If Eddie sees one he really likes through the YouTube chat because you're still doing final prep for last-minute draft, we'll get that done for you with Nathan. And again, same thing. If you tweet at one of us, you have a question. Can't get to all of them, but we might be able to slip those in there over the course of the conversation. Before we get to Nathan, Nate Atkins is going to join us, covers the Colts for the Indy Star. We'll have him at the literal bottom of the hour at 1230 Nathan Yonke with us at 1245. Andy Staples covers college football nationally. We'll talk to him top of the 1 o'clock hour. And then mid-portions of the 2 o'clock hour, Greg Rosenthal of NFL.com will join us. We'll get both the national perspective on the Colts and the Jonathan Taylor saga, as well as where things are shaping up with less than a week until NFL football is finally back. Oh, my goodness. Thursday night's going to be great. Chiefs-Lions. I'm ready. I was born ready, but no, seriously, <laughs> this is the time of year where I do lose all of my personal life. So if you're not in the football world, I probably won't see you very often. However, it's a wonderful sacrifice. I do think about that sometimes like, man, this is really cool. I get mm-hmm. to go in and get paid to write about the team. Now, obviously things right now with the Colts and we'll talk all about it are not uh, as rosy as you'd like them to be per Chris Ballard, but they still have, I believe, the most exciting rookie who's going to play for them. So I do think that that in and of itself, regardless of whatever else happens, 
is a win for everybody because I just want to see him play at this point. I mean, really play, you know, no play count, no, you know, leash, just turn them loose. Now, obviously within reason, but I mean, just play a full game with the idea of winning. Right. So I'm going to borrow LinkedIn terminology, I suppose. Don't don't put me to sleep. uh, (laughs) Very brief. Uh, Mutual connection of the three of us. We had Matt Verderam on earlier this week of SI Now and SI.com. Very do. And we asked him about Anthony Richardson and how he sees these rookie quarterbacks and the state of quarterback in the NFL as a whole. And he kind of mentioned the same sentiment you just did, which is that, yes, everybody talks about the way he's built. And this is a big if. But if they can get the accuracy up... He thinks it's going to be a very fine partnership with Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson. You view it the same way? I, yeah. Again, I know it's a big ask because accuracy issues are hard, but we've seen it done in the past. It's not going to be something that happens overnight, but if you see that tick up year over year like you've seen the last, just for example, Jalen Hurts' numbers not jumping off the page from an accuracy standpoint his rookie season, year by year it grew. Josh Allen clearly not having accuracy of high lore his first season year by year it was an uptick and it grew it's going to take time but if that is what you're able to nurture and grow with his game could be a very tantalizing combination if he ever gets a laser a consistent (laughs) laser just get get out of the way because i mean the other stuff that you can't teach he already has the physicality the running i mean he does look like a superhero in certain aspects when he does make those big plays but like you said if he keeps that happy feet in check and remembers to just keep everything together. That's when he messes up is when he kind of gets off platform. And while you're wowed by those plays and those throws, Patrick Mahomes is fantastic because of that, but also because he makes a lot of regular plays too. And that's the part where I, I like it. It's like Chris Paul in the NBA. Like he led the league in assists for a number of years, but every assist wasn't this flashy behind the back. It was a lot of bounce passes and, you know, just regular chest passes. And that's where if he can become consistent in those little areas as far as dump offs, checks downs, the the crosser across the middle of the field, those types of routine plays, then I think everything else will open up even more because you understand, oh, if we force him to really be a what they call a true quarterback, a pocket passer, he can do that too. Now, is it gonna happen by week one? <laughs> Probably not. But I do think that Everything he does will be sort of tantalizing because you never know, for better or worse, what's going to happen when he's out there because of the otherworldly ability. So I'm excited for him. And like I said, I think that his teammates, him being voted a team captain the other day, his teammates talk about how much he bounces back from mistakes, how much he really internalizes the need to improve in certain areas. And I do think we've seen some of those improvements already since the day he was drafted to where he is now. Every time we have you in here, I feel like at some point we, we bring you into center stage of things that have happened to you or just uh, just moments you've had, whether it's in the media scrums, whether it is on social media. Of course, the, the most notable one prior to earlier this week was the whole project comment fiasco <laughs> that obviously is, is, is all love and joking aside now between you and Anthony Richardson, but a lot of praised by both Jake, Eddie, and I, and then across the local media for what, in passing, could have just been viewed as a a last-second question just for the buzzer, but what turned out to be very informative, at least the answer that you got from Chris Ballard, which is, and I I did not cue Eddie up for this, so I I don't think he has it at the ready, which is fine. We'll paraphrase with it. Um, 
you had asked Chris Ballard in the back and forth of the media session earlier this week regarding Anthony Richardson, or not Anthony Richardson, uh, Jonathan Taylor and the contract situation. Here was that question. I've said this all along. Like, I didn't have, Quentin Nelson didn't have a problem playing a guard a lot of money, which other people don't either. Like, you, when guys are having great seasons and great, have a chance to really help your football team, absolutely. I mean, I, the running market is what it is, but look, great players are what they are too. So, I, I think that all works. I think there's a... Well, in that case, JT, the great player, is that, why not take him? We won four games last year. We won four games. Now, you've talked about this a little bit on social media, and it's part of the reason that I love following you because on this journey, you are so open about what the process of being a beat writer is like. And I feel like a lot of people that follow your coverage appreciate that because for some of us, like sports journalism for me was never going to be the path that I went into, but like I was a part of my high school newspaper. I studied journalism in college and that's just somebody that had sports media on their mind when they went to school. A lot of people were sports fans and have like always dreamed about maybe covering a team, but for whatever reason, they either don't go down that path or they pursue other options and maybe they do it on the side. So to be able to have somebody that's doing it full time, it's out there on the grind and being as open as you are about it is really cool and interactive from a following standpoint. That said, and I know you can reiterate what you tweeted out after the press conference or a little bit later. And once you got your story up, Take us through that, and, and what was – that's such a quick reaction question that you like just have to have the presence of mind to, to push the envelope forward there. What pressed you to want to ask that specific question, and what did you make of the answer that you got? So I thought that that question, in a similar fashion, had been asked, but maybe not in the best way because of him repeating throughout the press conference that we won four games last year. But my thing was – all right, well, the entire reason we're even having this conversation to begin with, why you all as a franchise are kind of hesitant to pay him as opposed to our receiver or quarterback is because he's a running back. So at the beginning of that question, before I jumped in there with my follow-up was, is the running back position a factor? Because it is. And I thought to myself, if he says that, or I'm not saying I want, I want him to say anything, I'm just curious to know, if you say that that's honest, okay, yes, we have to evaluate every position, and every position may not be viewed the same by everybody something like that but no he didn't go that route he decided to say oh we pay everybody regardless of position and you know when you're a great player you get paid more or less and so in my mind I'm thinking to myself okay well what's not about him being a running back and you're saying he's a great player if he's already been proven that he's great why does he prove himself another year if that makes sense why not pay him now if he's as great as you say he is and he said we won four games and I'm like yes and no like JT wasn't the reason you only won four games. Well, part of it was that he wasn't available for all the games. Your best player wasn't available. Your team was not good. But The should, offensive line was horrendous. The quarterback room right. was chaotic, and there was a coaching change right. mid-season. So in my mind, I'm like, why is he, quote-unquote, being punished for that? And then, to be quite frank, if they win another four games this year, do you pay him after that? Oh, we made that joke. That's that's a promo, by I the mean, way. Eddie Garrison did a great job on that. Seriously. Me and Jake had a back and forth of, is four games the bar for Anthony right. Richardson now to get his guys paid? But then on the <laughs> flip side, and why I was trying to be transparent about it on, on social right. media with the fans. Which like, you did, yeah. I do understand from their perspective, we don't want to give any money out because we don't really know what our team is right now, which is fine. But my thing is, if he is so upset where he doesn't want to play for you anymore, he doesn't want to show up, at some point, 
your return on the investment that you think you have has to be reevaluated. You can't stay committed to somebody who is an all-pro running back when he's healthy if he's like determined to make it hard for you to even get that value out of him. Now, I'm not saying you should ship him away. Like You should definitely right. give him away for nothing. I agree on all that. And quite honestly, I wouldn't have traded him before that deadline, or maybe I would have before we kind of figured out how hurt or not hurt he is. My point is... If he doesn't ask for a trade, I don't know they're actively trying to shop him. Exactly. And then my point is, if he, at some point this season, it continues to be like this, and he's not playing for you, then you have to become realistic and, and maybe tell a team, hey, if we don't get a first, whatever, a second and a fifth, or a second and a fifth and a running back. Like, how do you continue this? I was talking to Eddie before we got on the show, and I was kind of joking about it on, on our podcast on, on The Athletic. What if JT gets to a point, now I'm not saying he would or wouldn't, but it's a possibility where he just shows up and he reports to get his money or to make sure that he gets his accrued season, but then he goes off and he's like, I don't want to be here. You know, I'm only here so I don't get fined. I don't care what happens to the team. I'm only here because I have to be here. Then what? Do you just keep him because he's like, oh, well, we have your rights? No. So at some point, I think it becomes so unrepairable that you have to at least consider realistically not you know oh, I'm going to throw a trade request out there and see what we get be realistic about is there a real opportunity to maybe move him and and to be honest you're never going to get the return on investment or value that you want when you get rid of a star player that just never happens in any sport but can you recoup something that could possibly get you a player as good down the line or at least get you pointed in the, a different direction other than having this hang over your team because right now it's still not that big of a deal, but when the games start and we see what that running back room looks like, for better or worse, and I'm leaning towards the latter, we'll see. With Jonathan Taylor, we know it's four games locked in. He will not be there exactly. because he's on the pup. And Eddie and I have gone back and forth with this as well, both on this program and off the air, with when he comes back week five, assuming he does come back week five, Regardless if they're going to trade him or not, your outlook is we need to see where he's at from a health standpoint. And ideally, if you're trying to get something for him, like you're still listening to offers as we near closer to the deadline at that point, I think it'd be, what, three weeks out, give or take? I right. believe my, my. It's about four, like after that uh, four week mark, mm-hmm. it comes like week five. Yes, about three weeks. They're going to have a decision to make at that point because. A, his values at, I don't know if all-time low is the right word, but it, it's pretty close because of the fact that my worst fear with the process of the roster cutdowns came true, which is that he's still on the pup, and there's a mystery surrounding how hurt is he? Is it really still the ankle? Right. Is it something else? There's that cloud there where if I'm a opposing general manager trying to figure things out. Yes, if you you could trade for I could send the first round pick. It's not going to happen. It will not happen. Right, everyone calm down. <laughs> but I could send the first round pick and if he comes through and he fails the physical, the trade doesn't happen anyway. So like there, there's there's that safety net to it, but there's this cloud of confusion now for the Colts where like you don't necessarily need him to play, but if you're still opening the conversation about dealing him after the 4 weeks are up, You'd like him to play before the deadline so you can at least have something on paper to say, ankle's fine, whatever's fine. This is old Jonathan Taylor. He's ready to roll. And then here's another caveat. 
the CBA says he has to be physically able to perform by the sixth game of the season to ensure that he earns his accrued season, becomes a free agent next year. Physically able to perform basically means you have to practice. Doesn't mean you have to play. So again, which you, can be if I'm not because we talked about this. I don't mean to cut yeah, you off, ahead. but but Eddie had brought this out to me earlier because I know that you dove headfirst in oh, the CBA several times. In between throne seasons and Colts coverage, you've somehow <laughs> managed to find time to dive through the just exotic novel that is the CB Man, the CBA. So much jargon. It can be as simple as activating him and him being out at practice. Right. right. There's no like it, it he doesn't have to play. That's but he doesn't even have to be full sprint in a practice. It is just he's on the practice field, he's there, he's active. He like, just has to be on the roster for six regular season games correct. or more. Correct. That's the phrase. I mean, but the other side of it though, and the reason why I think if I you put me feet to the fire and ask me what was gonna happen, I still think he has to show up and play in an actual game or at least be available to play because if this continues the way it goes, yes, the team could fine him, they could punish him, the NFLPA will get involved, and they would go off on the Colts for whatever. Oh, you're accusing him of not being hurt when he really is hurt, whatever the case may be. And then if it continues like that, it goes to a third-party arbitrator, right? which is like one step less than court, basically. And then this third-party person decides whether or not he fulfilled his contractual obligations. And to me, it is a big, huge, enormous, gigantic, I can't even think of how many words I want to use, risk for JT to really dig in and go that route because I just don't see how a player throughout all of this is going to win that argument. So yeah, I, and and it's and you might feel very confident, but again, you're putting your future in the hands of a third party arbitrator, someone who doesn't really care one way or the other, or not supposed to, and they're gonna rule for again. You got a fifty fifty shot, basically. That is not what I would be doing. <laughs> so I think that there has to be some sort of come to Jesus moment, particularly on the side of JT. I understand that all parties involved maybe didn't handle it the best. But at the end of the day, the, the CBA, the players agree to, says you have to yeah. abide by certain rules. Now, is it unfair to you? Is, is it a reason for you to be upset? That's fair. But at the end of the day, like I've been saying all along, there isn't much of a clear way out for you unless you just play. If you play this year out, then you can kind of work with the franchise tag and all that. But, I mean, at some point... Does he just accept that I'm not, I'm not going to get that long-term deal? Because Saquon had a great year last year. Doesn't Josh matter. Jacobs had a great year last Doesn't year. Doesn't matter. Yep. And all they got was a one-year deal, basically the franchise tag, which was like, okay, we're not going to franchise tag you. We'll give you a little bit more for incentives to appease you, which, again, is better than what they would have gotten, but it wasn't a, oh, you know what? We'll give you that three, four-year deal. It was like, oh, no, we'll give you a one million more for this year, and you know, skedaddle and get back to practice. The increase of the tag for running backs – is minimal at best. Even if we're simulating it out, you're looking at maybe $11 million, give or take, next year for what the tag would operate under. It would be cheaper for the Colts if they're just looking at it from a dollars and cents standpoint to tag him next year. Yes. And honestly, even tag him the following. Right. Even with the percentage increase that comes with it, then it would be to offer him a three-year deal. Flip side to that is if he pouts his way or is upset the entire time at some point 
you have to be like, okay, we cannot, this is not a relationship that is workable. I don't think that's a word, but I made it up. (laughs) It's not something that's going to work down the line because at some point it has to matter what your locker room thinks of that whole situation. I agree with you on that. I do. And maybe I'm looking this more from a video game standpoint, but like I've seen teams or fantasy football or fantasy football. I've seen teams. (laughs) Great plug. I have seen teams operate in an off season and find a capable running back when they actually use real draft capital to go do it. I'm not saying a first or second rounder. I'm saying a third or fourth rounder. And for me, if you're Jonathan Taylor, there comes a point where the Colts might be like, you know what? We're not going to get a return from you, but we have your heir to this throne now. You can either come play with us or you can not play football. That's a super hardball approach that goes against a lot of what the good faith culture that I get at the teams hype up. But there are some teams in the league that at the end of the day are either that petty or just don't care. We'll have much more to talk about with that as we roll through. Probably resume that conversation at the bottom of the 1 o'clock hour. When we return, though, we'll continue Jonathan Taylor talks from a different perspective. Nate Atkins will join us, plus the countdown is on to week one in the NFL season. Nate will take us through it all when we come back after this. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Still here vibing out in the DriveHeebler.com studio. I'm James Ward alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison on the ones and twos. You're listening to Query and Company. Query is in Portland, jealous of him right now, but we're holding down for him. And as much as we've talked about JT, we're going to invite somebody else on right now who has written a lot about him. I thought wrote a phenomenal piece in the Indy Star. I'm not supposed to say that, I guess, as a rival, but hats off to my boy Nate Atkins for writing a great piece, and we have him on the line. So, Nate, how you doing? Doing good, man. We've uh, been on the same story, I feel like, for 17 years, even though I think it's been <laughs> five weeks or so, whatever it's been since... Uh, since he showed up and went on the pup list, and here we are, and we got another what four weeks of winter because the groundhog saw its shadow here in Indy. So, uh, buckle in. So, I'll start with the discussion that we've been having in the media room when I've been winning this argument. By the way, for the listeners out there, before <laughs> Nate brainwashes you with all his football knowledge, um, we talked about how important it would be or wouldn't be for JT to be in the backfield for Anthony Richardson's development. I've started to lean more towards, hey. Mobile quarterback, Shane Slyke scheme. You can scheme up some of the yards to offset the production of a great running back, and maybe it wouldn't hurt you as much as having an immobile quarterback. But I know you, Nate, really value great players and what that means for any system. So if you want to explain your thinking and why you think that I'm wrong, and I could be, honestly. <laughs> yeah, well, it has been fun to banter back in the media room. And uh, back and forth. And I'll say, like, first of all, like, I, I absolutely uh, appreciate the value of, you know, the Shane Steichen scheme, the Shane Steichen approach, which is to have a mobile quarterback who changes the math on how defenses have to defend the run. The idea being, obviously, uh, you, like, you, you, the quarterback's not handing off, so it's not, you're not playing with 10 guys in the run game. You're playing with an 11th guy who is that ball carrier who also could hand off. And, you know, so I, I appreciate that a lot. And obviously we saw work last year with the Eagles uh, with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. 
and they led the league in rushing so much that they could run basically two to one ratio against teams in the playoff and run them out of it. And so, you know, so on one hand, there is there is an argument that like that system is. I think in in, in general, that system is you know is successful. And if you're having to pick one or the other, if it's you know, can you have a Lamar Jackson type of quarterback with an average running back or, you know, a Jonathan Taylor with, you know, a pocket quarterback? Yeah, I think you'd probably lean the the mobile quarterback and and hope from there. But what I always am looking at is, like, what if you had both? And I feel like people are just going a little too far and saying, like, you know, because there's a world where you can run the ball pretty well with just a quarterback, that therefore you don't need the running back. And, I just don't know that history has really backed that up as we go back and look through this outside of teams that had just an absolutely dominant offense in every spot, which was the Eagles last year. So you go back to like the Bears last year, you know, that uh, Justin Fields had one of the best uh, run games, quarterback running seasons that, that we've seen in a long time. It's from it's him and then Lamar Jackson back the year he did it and won the MVP. Well, Justin Fields it did not have that. He had efficiency in the backfield, but he didn't have that same explosiveness and in volume and all of that. And the Bears, for as many big plays as Justin Fields ripped off, they were outside of the top 25 in total offense that year. Now, maybe that's an argument for why running backs overall aren't that important. But the Jonathan Taylor we saw back in 2021, like I just feel like people have kind of forgotten just how dominant he really was that year. Uh, That was the year he finished with 500 more yards than any other back in the NFL. It was the most dominant single rushing performance uh, that season. And it, it it's totally, I, I think if you look at that in, in the scheme and, and the Colts blocked well, but that was a player that went way above scheme in a way that I haven't seen a scheme elevate a player to that level ever, because it's the most dominant rushing season for rushing champ in a decade. And I think the thing that people are missing is that like, if you can create natural lanes for a running back with an Anthony Richardson, like we saw in that first game against Buffalo where they had some huge holes for Deion Jackson, Evan Hull, what would it then be like if the player he's handing off to to those lanes could run 4-3-9 in the 40 at 226 pounds with a lead change of direction? What if that was the player who in 2021 had five runs of 40-plus uh, yards in the NFL when no other team in the league had even three? Like, There's been no scheme that's been able to match what Jonathan Taylor did that year from the running back position. And so some other teams have done it where they hodgepodge the quarterback with the running back like the Eagles did last year. But what it like, I just don't know why you would have to, you would need to settle for a lesser running back just because you have the elite quarterback, especially when that quarterback is a rookie quarterback has not played very much. So he like, it's a big leap of faith to me to think that Anthony Richardson can just do all the things Jalen Hurts did in his third year in the NFL. Uh, well, actually his fourth year in the NFL, I should say. And, uh, so to me, it's just a matter of like, I think we've gone too far away from just understanding the value of players over plays. And no doubt Shane Steichen, like this, the last thing I'd say here is like Shane Steichen's scheme, it's very impressive and it's going to make the players he has better. But that doesn't mean you don't need good players. And the Eagles know this because they went out and traded a first round pick for A.J. Brown. That's not because they didn't think Shane Steichen was good enough. It's because they dreamed about what could Shane Steichen do if we give him the very best we can find. And all of a sudden, an offense that had six Pro Bowl players, including a 1,200-yard running back and Miles Sanders, that was able to reach the Super Bowl. So if you then take the Shane Steichen scheme here and you give him a talented athletic quarterback like Anthony Richardson, that's a nice place to start. 
But if he has none of the other pieces that he had along the offensive line, tight end, wide receiver, running back, you know, you're expecting something that I just don't think is very realistic. Nate Atkins with us, covers the Colts for the Indy Star. Nate, when you looked at the 53-man roster and the you know little adjustment, fine-tuned moves that happened in the subsequent days, when you sat down and looked at everything that's present on this roster, we'll take Jonathan Taylor out of it because he's going to miss the first four games of the season anyway, still being on the pup. Is there enough around Anthony Richardson to not guarantee but ensure a, a proper development or, or a fair development in the rookie season? We've been calling for the reps all offseason, and he's going to get those. But with what's around him, is there enough there to ensure that this is a reasonable progression for him over the course of his first season? Well, it's always important to remember exactly what they're looking for out of this season, which is, like you said, progression, development. It's getting him reps in situations that he's not been in that much before since he's only started 13 games uh, in college above the high school level. So some of it is like they're welcoming some of the challenges that will come. But I think there's no doubt there's going to be immense challenges, and not just because he's a rookie uh, and hasn't played a lot, but because there isn't a whole lot around him at this moment. And that's why I think Jonathan Taylor's important is that if there was more around him at the other positions, you know, proven veteran players, depth at those positions, you would feel good about the idea that, that Anthony Richardson doesn't have to be the hero, that there, this isn't an injury away from a disaster situation like the Bears found them in with Justin Fields, his rookie year with no talent around him. But right now, I just think the combination between not having Jonathan Taylor and the risk of injury up front on the offensive line could put you in a situation where it's going to look like what I saw in Philadelphia at the joint practices where obviously Taylor wasn't out there. They had uh, Brian Kelly coming in and out with Danny Pinter, who's now on IR, and they did not have Will Fries, and they started a right guard that they then cut this week. Uh, that was so bad that like they, they couldn't run anything. I think he, Anthony may have attempted four passes that day. It was constantly whistled dead. And that's a situation where like you don't want it to be that difficult on the rookie because at some point like he he's going to take hits and risk injury. And I'll point out he's had injuries in, at Florida and in high school because of the talent that was not around him. And that's a dangerous spot because – you know, you need him out on the field. It, the number one thing they have to have is this kid healthy, obviously, for just protecting him, but also so that he can be, do the practices in the games to get the reps that he needs. And I just – it's a little scary to me. It's like if Jonathan Taylor's not out there, what was happening in the Eagles practices, and granted that, that defense knows that offensive scheme better than anybody, but they were just converging on Anthony, letting him hand off to the running back, and letting their safeties just cover that ground and step up and tackle them after four or five yards because while Deion Jackson and Evan Hall are, I think, you know, improving young players who have third down skills, they don't have any of that explosiveness that we we're talking about with Jonathan Taylor. Zach Moss ran a four six five forty, so he's not going to bring it either. And so what you're trying to do here is pretty much have a rookie quarterback handed off to kind of these guys who should be number two or number three backs, which would be fine if the offensive line is dominant, the tight ends are dominant, and you have two elite threats at wide receiver that move, that force teams to play too high safety. I just don't think they have that formula right now. And the scary thing is that if you have an injury to Michael Pittman Jr., Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly, Braden Smith, the backups at those spots, I I just don't think are ready to go at all. So uh, it's, 
some of it was natural growing pains. This wasn't going to hit the ground running, you know, in year one and just be incredible. But I think what they have to watch out for is a couple injuries at the wrong spots get you in a situation where the reps Anthony's getting aren't quality reps. They're either painful reps with hits or, you know, he's bailing on pockets early or he doesn't trust his receivers. You don't want quarterbacks guessing and internalizing everything. That's how Justin Fields looked his first year. And I think that's the thing they have to watch out for. Well, Nate, I appreciate your time, man. We'll have to let you go. But I just want you to know, I won the argument because I'm on the radio. I'm the co-host <laughs> today. But no, I appreciate you so much, man. Also, the mentoring on the beat, all those things I don't take for granted. And I'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's a reason why they have you talk for three hours and I get to talk for 10 minutes. So you were killing that. I'll let you you kind of get your uh, encore in and and tell me why I'm wrong. (laughs) All right. That was Nate Atkins for IndyStar. We'll have some fantasy talk coming up very soon. So stay tuned for that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Just company on a Friday. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd, Eddie Garrison with us. Keeping your company, guiding you through. To Labor Day weekend, traditionally had to make some modifications this year but traditionally for me my fantasy leagues we try to have our fantasy football drafts this weekend you got the extra buffer day on labor day and are able to you know have those late night drafts on a sunday or maybe do them on saturday morning either way clock is ticking we're less than a week away from the start of the nfl season and an opportunity to pen the mind of one of the top analysts in fantasy football lead fantasy analyst, in fact, of pro football focus. Nathan Yankee taking some time with us here on The Fan. Nathan, I want to make sure that we have plenty of time to plug PFF. I know that there's a ton of stuff going on on PFF.com if you're trying to be a fantasy player and wanting to feel like you are a prime NFL GM with all the data tools and the the, the proprietary simulation models you guys guys have, unlimited league sync, expert insights from yourself and other writers there. At the top, if someone's looking for a key edge, why should they be a part of PFF this season? Sure. The big thing is that we have the data that no one else has to figure out how players should perform, and then we're able to help you action that data for your draft. So we have a mock draft tool that will allow you to practice as much as you want before the draft, um, predicts uh, how likely someone is going to be available in the next round and helps you decide who you should be picking uh, in each of your rounds, looking ahead. So it's not just here's the guy who we think is the best right now, but also here's who we think you should be drafting in the next round and the round after that to help make sure that you have the best lineup possible. And then we also have a live draft tool that helps you while you're drafting, and it works the same as the mock draft tool. It brings in the information about the players that are getting drafted to help you decide who you should be picking when you're on the clock and help you get the best roster you possibly can. For everyone out there, don't pick Jonathan Taylor. We've discussed that already on air. But I do want to know this, Nathan. I see here that PFF is doing a fantasy punishment playoffs contest can you explain the reasoning for it and how fun you think it'll be to see some of the videos that get sent in of guys doing and and girls as well women as well um ridiculous things because they've been punished for losing their fantasy league coming last place yeah it's great so for those who don't know there's plenty of leagues that have a punishment so whoever makes last place has to do whatever ridiculous act 
after the league is done. Tell people stay involved throughout the league. Just since plenty of the time, people who are out of the playoffs just stop caring, and you want to get everyone caring throughout the entire season. So that's one way to do it. So at PFF, we have this contest going on where we're letting people submit videos of the punishments that they've had in the past. And then the winner gets a great experience uh, with Chris Collinsworth and Sunday Night Football getting to go to a game, as well as a lifetime subscription to Pro Football Focus. So uh, we're having people vote on which uh, punishments they think are the best. So there's already been uh, plenty of great submissions that have been fairly funny so far. So hopefully there are plenty others that would like to submit theirs at PFF.com and can uh, do the punishment playoff at PFF.com to submit your video. So, Anthony, is there one that you've seen or one that you've been a part of where you're like, wow, that's that's pretty funny? Because I think I saw one on Twitter where a guy had to take maybe like seven consecutive flights across the country because he lost his fantasy league. Uh, my favorite ones that I've seen that I feel like are fun but aren't too mean-spirited are ones where you have to go to a restaurant and stay there for a certain amount of period of time, but the more that you eat something yes. at that restaurant, that takes away the amount of time that you have to be there. So <laughs> I find those pretty fun. I wanted to throw that at you. Let's use the Waffle House example because I see that very yeah. often on social media. If you had that 24 hours of the Waffle House punishment, Nathan, how many waffles would you take down to lessen the amount of time? I would probably try to do one per hour, so I tried to cut the time in half, but I don't know how many I'd be able to get after I get a couple of them down. <laughs> I want to open that up to you guys. James, Eddie, again, the scenario is you've come last place. I would say, man, I'm with him. I could probably go one an hour, but each waffle that you eat, shrinks the amount of time you have to be at the Waffle House 24-hour period. How many would you take down? Man, I probably got four at max. I don't eat a lot, so it's just not going to work for I'd me. I'd probably take the one-hour approach, even though I could probably throw more back immediately. <laughs> if you had to. Yeah. yeah. Look at no. Eddie. So strategic. Yeah. That is a GM right there. Nathan Yagi with us, lead analyst for Pro Football Focus's fantasy football platform. Of course, it's your best asset as you're trying to navigate throughout the season. You can subscribe there on PFF.com and go to their fantasy football tab. Nathan, one of the biggest questions that are always on the mind of fantasy players is the do not draft list. For you, I'm not going to make you go through the whole list necessarily, but who are absolute do not drafts going into the 2023 season? Sure. I think some of the biggest ones are probably at quarterback guys like Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins. Those are two guys that uh, we know exactly what they can do. We know who they are. They can be top 10 fantasy quarterbacks. They're not going to be top five. And if anything, they might be going down a little bit this year compared to other years where there are plenty of quarterbacks that if you've waited to pick a quarterback, you can wait a couple rounds later and pick up plenty of guys. Um, you were just talking about Anthony Richardson and rushing production is huge in fantasy football. So the fact that he is so good as a rusher means that he's going to be able to score plenty of fantasy points, even if he's having some trouble in the passing game in general, some learning pains. That's fine. We've seen guys like Taysom Hill start at quarterback for four weeks and be a fantasy starter. So if you can get someone like that later, someone like Geno Smith, Daniel Jones, other guys who were top 10 fantasy quarterbacks last year that just don't have as big of a name as Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott, so they're getting picked later, but they should do just as good, if not better. Nathan, obviously JT was a huge fantasy pick a few years ago. Whoever had him in their 2021 league probably won it because of how fantastic he was. We're going through sort of this trade request standoff right now, but in theory he could be back playing by week five, so 
where do you weigh risk versus reward in possibly drafting JT or selecting JT or activating him? How do you kind of view it? Uh, yeah, I'm at a point where I have him ranked somewhere in the top 30 running backs, somewhere in the 20 to 30 range. Um, the hard part, part for me is I just don't know, even after those four weeks, if things continue to go poorly, if he's going to continue to sit out, or if he does get traded. Like one of the teams that he was rumored to potentially go to was the Packers, who already have two good running backs. So he's not going to see nearly as much volume in some of the teams that he could potentially get traded to, or even if he stays in Indianapolis, if they continue to use him the same way that they did in the past. In fantasy football, volume is so important, more so than how good a player is. So even though we know Jonathan Taylor, probably a top five fan, top five overall running back when he's healthy, he needs to get that volume for fantasy football. So there's risk there. So he's with a bunch of other running backs that there's similar risk of they might be in a two-player committee. We don't know how the snaps will shake out between the two players. So I kind of view him similar to those players, but it really depends on your risk tolerance and if you're willing to draft a number of other running backs just in case Jonathan Taylor doesn't play as soon as we hope. On the other side of the coin, who is on your due draft list? Must have for those that are still waiting for their drafts to start hopefully this weekend for the 2023 campaign. Um, The biggest thing for me is try to make sure that you get a top seven tight end. Guys like Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson. There's just a couple of those tight ends that every single year they're in the top few tight ends and fantasy points per game. Um, Injuries always happen, so that impacts things one year to another, but we're fairly consistently seeing the same tight ends be the best tight ends because they're the most talented tight ends and therefore they're the ones getting all of the targets. So I really try to make sure I get one of those players just so I can put them in my lineup each week, not have to think about it, not have to worry about the matchups and probably don't even need to worry about a backup tight end outside of when my starter has a bye week. So I try those first four or five rounds, make sure that I get one of those tight ends. So, Nathan, I'm not a huge fantasy guy, but I would like to know the insight or the setup when you're trying to follow what your guys are doing. And maybe it gets a little down to the wire week to week when you're wondering, okay, is this guy going to perform? So what's your setup like and what is it like to maybe rub it in some weeks and then have to eat it a couple other weeks? Um, So... My setup each week uh, at PFF, we have a lineup optimizer to help you optimize your lineups to make sure that you have the right guys in there. Um, We use uh, my rankings and our projections to help you do that. So we try to get as good as we can. Definitely not perfect. The great thing about fantasy football and part of why I love it so much is that I spend all day, every day trying to figure out uh, (laughs) who's going to be the best players and There are times where I'm wrong. Plenty of fluke things happen in football games, and that's great. So even though I put all this time and effort in and win, a lot of the times I don't win every time. So I can get my friends who don't know nearly as much about football to also be playing. And even though I'm doing all this research, they at least have a chance to win. But obviously their chances of winning will be even better if they're using stuff like the stuff that we have at Pro Football Focus. It's Nathan Yonke with us, Pro Football Focus Lead Fantasy Analyst. Live now at PFF.com. They have unlimited league sync PFF expert insights that includes ranking, cheat sheets, projections, and predictive data. And plus, you can get as many fantasy mock drafts on those simulations as you'd like. It's Nathan Yonke. Nice enough to take some time with us. 
in the drivehubler.com studios. Still to come, we'll have a conversation at the top of the hour with Andy Staples. College football is so back. We'll talk about why it's back a little bit later in the program. It is highlighted by a moment of Big Ten football. Just just chef's kiss of Big Ten football last night. We'll get into that and more. Full slate of games for week one. Andy Staples will take us through it next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Still here having a great time in the DriveHubler.com studio. I'm James Ward alongside Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison. You're listening to Query & Company. Our next guest, Andy Staples, covers the college football world that is ever-changing for on three. Andy, how you doing? Well, you, you didn't have Stanford and Cal being in the ACC on your bingo card last year. You I did not. <laughs> I feel like every day I wake up, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of work for a person who covers the college football world. So I guess I'll start there, Andy. What is it like when you're constantly having to basically update and recalibrate your map and also whatever your coverage looks like because of the teams that are going to be included or not included in different conferences? At this point, it, it, I don't even know if it matters anymore. Like, this is, this, this is the, the last dumbest version of it, I think. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it'll probably get dumber. But, like, when, when the, the talks of this first trickled out, and you're like, the ACC's talking to Cal and Stanford. It's like, no, there's no way. That's not going to happen. And then the, it goes on further. They keep talking, and you're like, oh, they're going to take less money, so this is going to happen. And SMU is going to take no money, so this is, this is definitely going to happen. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, at this point, there's nothing they can do that I wouldn't believe, and there's nothing they could do that I wouldn't you know, just automatically adjust to because they've done so much crazy stuff in the last couple of years. So I know, Andy, with all the games that were on your radar, number one on the list was Nebraska and Minnesota. A Big Ten is back! <laughs> yes! So, I don't know if you even saw that game. What was your just take? Because we are in I Big Ten country. Game. Go ahead. I'll let you go. Uh, it was a slobber knocker, end-all slobber knocker. <laughs> and look, Nebraska has now lost 20 of 24 one-score games. That was supposed to be done with the with the firing of Scott Frost, but Matt Rule first game, same result. It just I I don't know what you do. Their defense played really well, and like the idea of Minnesota running the ball, I think they averaged two point two yards a carry. I think it was like twenty five carries for fifty five yards. They uh, it, it's it's wild that they won a game like that, but. The turnover margin matters. I mean, there was a Justin's had a horrific interception right before the half, and then another really bad interception as they were trying to run the clock out because Nebraska had the lead for most of the most of the second half. And I just it, it's amazing to me that they found another way to to blow it because when you play defense like that, you're usually going to win. And so if they can figure out how to cut down the turnovers, I actually think they could be okay in the Big Ten this year. But they have got to to not just hand the other team the ball. They, they did it five times last night. Andy Stables with us. Andy, I don't want to spend too much of our conversation on conference realignment, but because of the news last night, we have to address it a number of different ways. I know that James already asked you one question on it, but you had a great perspective that you had put on Twitter, and I want to get your clarification on it slash your 
information on it for those that didn't catch it. But with the additions of Cal, Stanford, and SMU for the ACC, is this move a sign of stabilization for them or a defense move in case other members bolt in the coming years? Oh, it's pure defense. This is pre-backfilling. So here, not to get too in the weeds on the ACC's contract with ESPN, but basically they have 15 members. They they entered today with 15 members. Now they have more. But they had 15 members, 14 full members, and then Notre Dame plays all sports except football. And basically if, if there was a point that they dropped below that number, ESPN would be allowed to reopen negotiations and cut what it pays them per year for their TV rights. So what they did is they just added three schools. Ironically, well, it's not ironic. It, I mean, it is completely, you know, it, it tracks completely. There were three no votes for this expansion. Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina. Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina are angling to get out, have been angling, angling to get out for a couple of years. And basically now... If they leave, ESPN can't cut what it pays the ACC. In fact, it now is stuck with a $72 million a year more bill for the ACC because the, the way the contract worked is if they added anybody, you had to add you know, that, that much of a share. What's funny is Cal, Stanford, SMU aren't getting that. Cal and Stanford are getting a really reduced share and won't get a full share for 10 years. SMU is taking $0 for nine years. They've got a bunch of big boosters that are just paying and saying, you know what, it's okay, you don't need TV money. Just be in the club. <laughs> but the thing is, like, the second Clemson, Florida State, or North Carolina has a chance to leave, they will be gone. I need some boosters in my life <laughs> to make me live a certain way, you know, beyond my means. Because I, I saw that too, and I was like, SMU, what? What, what is going on? Like, the, the, the random basketball school that I kind of know, like that was very unique. Oh, but I, James, 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 you're young. <laughs> hey, was good at fo- SMU was good at football at one time, and it, it was a magical time called the '80s. And <laughs> what? When was this? They, they <laughs> all their players. They had Eric Dickerson, you know, future future Colt Eric Dickerson. Yep. Um, so they they were very good in the Southwest Conference and then they got busted by the NCAA for paying players they got the death penalty they're the only school that ever got the death penalty iconic and it, it <laughs> yeah wrecked their football program they were not invited to the Big 12 when the Southwest Conference broke up so SMU TCU Houston and Rice got the short end of the stick and they got kicked out of the club and so they've been working ever since to get back in the club the, the difference with SMU and to a lesser extent, TCU. But the difference between them and, and some of the other group of five type schools is their boosters are richer than God. Like they have tons of money. Money's never been their problem. Well, now they come to a, a, a situation where money can solve their problem. And so they finally got to use the one thing they had to fix the problem. I'll tell you what, a high school coach told me once. Us young kids, we don't care about anything that happened before we were here. So, and I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, in all seriousness, I do find it fascinating that they obviously had that sort of agreement kind of go through last night. But I do want to pivot to, you mentioned TCU. They're going to be hosting Colorado. Deion mm-hmm. Sanders, the most, I don't know, just either with them or against them, that kind of coach. So what is your take on that overhaul they've had 
in Buffalo and just the idea that they're going to be able to be okay, according to Deion Sanders, be more than okay. I don't know if they're going to be more than okay, but okay would be fine. They were awful last year. They were terrible. It was the worst roster in the Power Five. So if they're just okay, that is a massive improvement. And that's, that's the disconnect with Deion Sanders. You've got all the casual folks who, you, like you said, are either for him or against him, and they think that either he's going to go 12-0 and or he's going to lose every game and that anything that isn't like 9-10 wins is a complete failure. No, if, if they win four games this year, it's a roaring success. Like, that means Dion's doing a really good job because it's very hard to flip a whole roster like that. They obviously brought in some good talent, especially what the, the, the Louis luggage that, that Dion brought. But the problem is you can't find a lot of good big guys in the transfer portal. So on the lines of scrimmage, on the offensive and defensive lines, I'm a little worried about them. They have a very tough schedule, starting with TCU, which played for the national title last year and is going to be really good again this year. I don't, you know, I, I think if they just improve by, by three, four wins, like they're doing a great job. I don't even expect them to go to a bowl game this year. I, I, that, I think that's asking too much. If they do go to a bowl game, build the man a statue. <laughs> What's the national pulse in your eyes of, let's say this is a two-year, three-year stop at, at Colorado. It, th- this is a stepstone of where he wants to go, right? Like, like, like this isn't permanent home where he's just going to build a full power and stay put there. Is the national perspective that he would like to one day end up at a bigger school? Am I reading too much into that? No, I think he would. I mean, he wanted to be at a bigger school than Jackson State. Too. Right, right. <laughs> so, so Colorado is in the Pac-12 this year. They'll be in the Big 12 next year. Like, the, being, a, being good in the Big 12 is good. Like, you, you can be a, a playoff team. That's, the playoffs expanding to 12 teams next year. Like, if you're good in the Big 12, you can be a playoff team. Whether you win the championship or you're the second-best team, like, you, you can be in the mix. But – to really compete for national championships, you have to be in the Big Ten of the SEC. So that would be the, the probably the guess is if he gets Colorado going is, is that somebody in the Big Ten of the SEC will hire him. Because to be perfectly honest, if he wins at Colorado, you can win just about anywhere. So Andy, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about the player that's coming to Indiana and will likely have a really big game, Marvin Harrison Jr. of, Ohio, of the Ohio State. Um, what is your take on him and how good he is? Because we heard a lot about him. You've seen him, I would assume, play in person, or at least work out, whatever. How close is he to being one of the best, you know, if not the best prospect you've seen sort of coming out in, in, in recent memory? Oh, he's the best receiver prospect in a while. I'm trying to think of one in the last five years that, that's been kind of more perfect. There, there, I, I, I'm struggling to think of one. You know, Devontae Smith was obviously great, but he's so small. Um, you know, Marvin is big. He's fluid. He's smooth. He's got incredible body control. It's, it's really all the above. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, I, I'm sure Colts fans who saw Dad play so much probably were shocked the first time they saw Junior play because he's so much bigger than Dad. But he's got all the same attributes <laughs> in a supersized body. Like, it's, it's pretty crazy. So I, it's, it's amazing to watch him play. And the, the thing is, they're so loaded. Like, Emeka Buka is another first-round receiver. 
who plays alongside Marvin Harrison Jr. And, and that's that, that's just been Ohio State's receiver room for the last few years. Is they just stack first runners on top of each other. We know that for week one, Andy Staples nice enough to take some time with us, but we know that for week one, Colorado TCU is going to be on display. And we also know that from a headliner standpoint, LSU Florida State Sunday night is a great way to cap off week one. I know there's Monday games too, but it's the headline name going into week one. As you look around at just Saturday slate, what are two can't miss contests in your mind? Obviously, for the most part, a lot of us, we're going to have the multi-screens going on. We're going to be consumed as much as we can. But if there are only two games we could lock into, what would those two games be in week one? I think Boise State Washington is going to be a lot of fun because that's a it's a Washington team where Michael Penix Jr. led the nation in passing yards last year. He's so smooth, throws the prettiest ball in America. They've got very good receivers. They've got good pass rushers. But Boise State's got a pretty good defense, and so it, it'll be it'll be a challenge for Washington to win this game. And we'll we'll kind of see where Washington's at because Washington potentially could challenge in the Pac-12 for, for the title there. And then at night, you've got uh, North Carolina versus South Carolina in Charlotte. And Drake May is obviously, you know, we, we, we've, we, we know the Cardinals are tanking for Caleb Williams. Somebody's going to get Caleb Williams, and then probably the next pick's going to be Drake May, who's the quarterback in North Carolina. He's, a, he's an interesting one because he is not surrounded by the, ta- the kind of talent that Caleb Williams is. Uh, the guy who they thought would be their best receiver has been ruled ineligible by the NCAA. They're still hoping that they win an appeal, but I don't think they're going to. Their defense is not great. Meanwhile, South Carolina beat Tennessee and Clemson at the end of last season. The offense looked incredible with Spencer Rattler, who, remember a few years ago, we were saying, oh, if Heisman frontrunner, potential first-round draft pick. Well, neither of those things anymore. He's in his fifth year of college. But when he turns it on, and you go back and watch that Tennessee game from last year, when he really turns it on, he's pretty amazing. So, I think that one could be a shootout. That North Carolina-South Carolina game could, could be a uh, very, very high-scoring affair. So, Andy, Georgia starts their title defense this weekend. They have Carson Beck in there as the quarterback, the new starter. How much pressure do you think it is on him to perform and live up to the expectations of who was before him, Stetson Bennett? And also, what would it mean for Georgia to 3 P and cement themselves as that first modern team to do so? Well, if you've seen Georgia's offensive line, you know there will be no pressure on Carson Beck whatsoever. <laughs> probably until probably until they play the SEC championship game against Alabama or LSU. Maybe when they play Tennessee. But, yeah, he, he's, he's not really under any pressure because all he has to do is hand off and, and throw to a wide-open Brock Bowers. But uh, as far as the three-peat thing, it's hard to do. I mean, there's a reason nobody's done it since Minnesota in 1936, but – I mean, if you want to talk about just pure roster construction, there's nobody like Georgia right now. Even Ohio State, even Alabama, it just isn't anybody as deep on the line of scrimmage as Georgia is. They've really built it up on both sides of the ball, and that's the difference. I mean, the team with the best big people wins, and (laughs) it's not complicated. What do you make of Notre Dame from the national standpoint? When you look at their schedule, I understand the first real test or barometer for where they are is going to be in a couple Saturdays when they host Ohio State and Notre Dame Stadium. But Oh, no, the first real test is next week at NC State. I'm not trying to fall. That, that, that's poor of me to get them, Andy. Get them. Get them. <laughs> that's, that's poor of me to fully overlook NC State. I, I, 
Big picture for Notre Dame. We'll, 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 we'll remove my my insult to the wolf pack. I will eat crow. Uh, big picture for Notre Dame this year from your mind. They're pretty good. They have a very hard schedule, which is which is the problem. Is they, They've got Ohio State. They've got Clemson. They have the aforementioned wolf pack. They've got USC. And, you know, they finally have a quarterback that they really like in Sam Hartman. But I, the problem is I still don't know if they're deep enough to be able to survive that at 11-1 and or 12-0, and which is what they'd have to do to make the playoffs. Man, you're bringing up some guys I watched on QB1 on Netflix, <laughs> Sam Hartman and Spencer oh, Rattler. Yeah. Like, That's right. Sam Hartman with uh, with Will Greer's dad as his coach. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy stuff. So I'm curious to know, Andy, as a guy who was obviously huge into college football, how do you consume the sport when you have to follow so many different storylines? Are you, you know – Three screen, four screen. Is it multi phone? Yeah, multi view. <laughs> is it the phone, laptop, iPad? What's your lay of the land when the games get rolling? I'm experimenting with multi view because that came actually at the end of the NFL season last year. So college football's regular season was already over when the multi view came out. Uh, so I'm experimenting with that. Not sure I can handle that much on the one screen. I like having one screen with sound on and then multiple screens beneath it or below, you know, on the coffee table or, or however I set it up. Sometimes I'll do it or I'll have a TV and then I'll move one of my other TVs into that room, but I'll have that with the sound off. And then I'll have my iPad and my laptop also with games on, but the, with the sound off. Like you have to be the, the mo- best, most competitive game to, to, for me to listen to you. How often does the plug get pulled on one game and it gets booted for another one in that rotation on the main screen? <laughs> I, it, well, it happens every halftime, and, and the rotation of it, it gets weird once once one goes to halftime because you got to move that to the least important screen and then and bump everything else up. But, yeah, usually when something stops looking competitive, you, you bring it down and then you put something else up. But, like, I'll give you an example. Last year, early in the season, North Carolina played Appalachian State, and North Carolina kept pulling away by, like, two or three touchdowns, so I kept moving it down. And then Appalachian State kept – I think Appalachian State scored, like, 44 points in the fourth quarter. <laughs> And the final was in the 60s. Like, it was insane. It was nuts. <laughs> so I had to keep moving it back up. So that's, you know, I, it's one of those things where I, I, and all of us sports writers will alert one another when, when one goes a little bit crazy. Like, hey, if you're not watching this one, put it back on. So I want to know, because we made this joke earlier about, you know, husbands giving their wives or vice versa, giving their husbands, hey, I'm a football person. I need my season to assist. Is it a little bit easier because it is your job to watch all these games? So did, did the excuse land is good one, in your family or, or no? Think. One would think. <laughs> but last night I'm taking notes on, on Florida, Utah, and on Minnesota, Nebraska. And then I in, somehow managed to spend two hours helping my daughter with, uh, with her English homework, which was pronouns, and her uh, Latin homework. <laughs> Latin? Oh, man, this girl's going to a good school. I, I learned no Latin. Well, so, I keep telling her that like, the Latin class is going to help her in the English class because you're going to learn your parts of speech better. Sure. But there you go. The Latin, we're only two weeks into Latin, so we're going we're gonna to wait for the, the, the benefits of that. So you mentioned that you did watch the Utah-Florida game. Obviously, Utah really humbled them. What does that say about maybe the roster that Anthony Richardson was working with last year and how you evaluate his performance in that lone season as Florida starter? Well, I live in Gainesville, so what you've asked is a nuanced question that, that will be uh, debated on bar stools around here for about <laughs> six hours tonight. But 
it's not the talent that screwed them last night. It was the coaching. They, they actually Fair. were talented enough to win that game. They were sloppy as hell. Like when you get a penalty for having two number threes on the field on a punt return <laughs> and you got to give the ball back to Utah at a key juncture in the game. And then later in the game, you put two number threes on the field again and then you take them both off and wind up having – I can't figure out if it was eight or nine guys, but it was not 11 on a field goal block <laughs> unit. Like – you can't excuse that. It's ridiculous. Um, as far as what Anthony played with, because because of the transfer portal and the, the rules in college football now, the roster this year is very different than the roster last year. But the roster Anthony played with didn't have any dynamic receivers. We, we know that. The line was okay. It was, it, they had very good backs. But they just, you know, he, he wasn't working with a lot of dynamic receivers. But it, it, I'll be interested to see what he does when the real games start, because there were some things that happened in the preseason because I watched all of his snaps in the preseason, and they looked very eerily similar to stuff that happened at Florida where if you get him a little rattled, he will, he will just throw the ball up. And you saw that in the, that in the first preseason game, you saw that. And then you, 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 seen, you saw it a little bit there in that last one. But – I'm just wondering when it's not the vanilla defenses that you see in the preseason, what's it going to look like? Is there a best bet for the college football weekend you partake? And if so, do you have a best bet? Well, my best bet was the under in Florida, Utah, which I uh, did hit. I, I, I thought Florida's going to cover. They didn't do that. But um, let's see. what are There's a few good ones coming up. Uh, UTSA is a, is a favorite against Houston, and, and I, I think a lot of people would look at that and go, oh, you know, Houston's a new Big 12 team. They, I can't believe they're an underdog at home against Texas San Antonio. <laughs> no, no, no. They're going to lose to Texas San Antonio. They, they, they went three overtimes last year. Houston barely squeaked it out. Houston uh, doesn't have Clayton Toon and Tank Dell anymore. You think about that. Clayton Toon may be the Cardinals starter. Tank Dell is the wide receiver one for the Texans right now. Like, he took that off the team and they got pillars in the transfer portal. So that UTSA minus two is actually looking pretty attractive. Two things I want to throw at you, and then I want James to, if he has one more question, or if not, we'll let you get out of here. But uh, as always, I I wind up stalking a Twitter timeline over the course of an interview and the lead-up to it. So two things for you. One, if you haven't had it already, uh, the pimento cheese sandwich from Chick-fil-A was wonderful. Um, and it's, Is it good? Okay. It was, it was There's v- a chain in the South called Bojangles that, that does a great sure. fried chicken biscuit, and they'll put pimento cheese on it for 99 cents, and it's spectacular. So I, I'm going to have to try that, the Chick-fil-A one. It was very, very good. And secondly, uh, you tweeted this before you came on with us, but I'm right there with you. There's nothing like just a good, well-iced cookie cake. By iced, I mean oh, iced. Yeah. I'm right there with you. So. We'll, we'll, we'll frame the debate for, for the listeners here. Um, Tom Van Heron, great reporter for ESPN, uh, he's critiquing uh, the, the various cakes and, and treats that the recruits are getting on their official visits. So one recruit tweeted out a picture of a cake that he got on his official visit to Oklahoma. And it's a, like a full-on two- or three-tier, I mean, basically like done up like a wedding cake. Very impressive looking. But – for years and years, the industry standard was you got to your official visit, which is, you know, where they, they show you around the school and whiny and dine you. Uh, and when you got to your hotel room, there's always a cookie cake in the hotel room. <laughs> and so I said, is it bad that I just want the cookie cake over that? Not at all. I'm right there with you. Just give me the cookie cake and I'm satisfied. Gentlemen, you too? Oh, yeah. Eddie? James? I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I'm not going to deny cookie cake. 
ever. The audience can't see it, but there, there's the cake in question that he was talking oh, that about. That looked fire. Was, oh, you, uh, hey, look, but, Andy, but, you're right. You're always right. But but that that wasn't the cookie cake. That was the regular cake. Put it up oh. to the camera, Jimmy. I, I I only have it on my desktop. Oh, my I'm sorry, but Eddie, cookie cake or or, or well designed wedding cake? What are you going with? Uh, cookie cake all the way. All right, that's where I'm at. That's, that's where a, I'm at. That's a majority. That's what I'm talking about. There we go. Ice cream cake, if possible, but you can't really leave that in a hotel room. Like that's one of those warm, kind of serve it out of the fridge. Warm up the so. cookie cake in the microwave, and then put the ice cream on top, and then you're living large. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah. I don't even have it for dinner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Andy, we really appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, I would say good luck with the setup and the rotations this weekend of your TVs and your screens, and your daughter's Latin because she's much smarter than me. But appreciate your time, my man. All right, thanks. Appreciate it, guys. All right, that was Andy Staples, National College Football Reporter for On3. You can follow him at Andy underscore Staples on Twitter. Great dude. We could have spent a whole segment talking about food. Like, honestly, honestly, the closer that you look at Andy's bio on Twitter, like there's just some beautiful brisket and just like a, a whole setup there. Like yeah. we, He's we, a bit we of a renaissance a man in yeah. that regard. He doesn't, you know, he knows a lot about football, but he's not just an all ball type you know, he's someone who kind of enjoys all aspects of life, it seems like. And he's like, oh, I'm pretty good at covering football and analyzing and stuff like that. And I thought what he said about Anthony Richardson, to kind of get back to a more serious point, was valid. There were some tendencies that carried over. And as someone who lived in Gainesville, saw Anthony Richardson play for, I would say, his entirety of his Florida career, tracked every snap, he knows what he's up against as far as the transition. But also, as we've sort of known Anthony Richardson or got to know him, the kid seems like he's going to embrace all those challenges. And again, he knows he's not going to get it all by, you know, the season opener. The key is, can you just put him out there in the best position possible without JT, of course, to be successful? We mentioned the accuracy issues, and that's the the main point against him, minus the lack of reps. But it is situations like Andy highlighted where if things break down or if he's routed a little bit, he just goes instinctively, aggressively right out of the gate and makes a decision that maybe isn't the best decision that could lead to a turnover that led to the interception, of course, in the Buffalo game. And again, I understand that there was wrong route miscommunication and you know we, we had defended Anthony Richardson on that the day after the Buffalo game. But there's going to be instances where stuff like that happens, where the pressure gets there and indecision occurs or the wrong decision is made. But as you mentioned, that that is part of the growth pattern here it's not to say that like look the last couple of years and at its peak was last season Colts were not a fun team to watch you like you got to a point last year where it's a chore to watch them play not even from like having to cover the team but from a fan standpoint and yes the bar is that low but there's already going to be enough buzz and intrigue on what Anthony Richardson can do that, yes, the, losing however many games this season or missing the Chris Ballard, uh, <laughs> I don't know if pay to play is the right phrase, but the uh, uh, guaranteed win total pay standpoint, get over that four, four win mark. I mean, I know that's a big pressure cooker for the Colts this year, but the hope is that there's at least a sign of they're building things the right way this year. You're seeing growth from Anthony Richardson. You're seeing a leap forward from Alec Pierce. Josh Downs solidifies himself as an NFL wide receiver, which again is a big ask from a rookie. Look at just Alec Pierce a year ago. I know they play different styles, yes. but it's so common in the National Football League for rookie wideouts to struggle. 
particularly when a system is as demanding as it can be at times within a Shane Steichen offense. So those bumps are going to be there. Yes, you want wins. If the Colts wind up making the playoffs, not going to happen. But if the Colts wind up making the playoffs, no Colts fan is going to be upset about that as long as the growth was still there. You might still be upset if you only win five or six games this year because no one likes losing, but Anthony Richardson is the be-all, end-all at the end of the day of how is the progression coming along for him in 2023. Absolutely. And to your point about playmakers and having wide receivers that can step up, that's one of the things Andy just talked about where he said he didn't have those playmakers. He didn't have those guys who made his life easier in college. And I would say right now I am a bit worried about the wide receiver room because we didn't see very much to be excited about or sure of with that unit. Now, Michael Pittman Jr., I believe, is going to be Pitt. He's going to be the same guy he's been no matter who's back there. He's proven that. But we have to see more from Alec Pierce. That's someone that I think did not look all that great in the preseason. I think he would tell you that himself. So he's got to step up. Like you said, Josh Downs, Isaiah McKenzie. And then what are they going to do as far as filling out the rest of their roster, not only a wide receiver, but just in general because – we talked to Chris Ballard. One of the few questions that was asked that wasn't about JT was just roster construction and how fluid it is. And quite frankly, even right now with some of the tweaks that they've made, it's still pretty thin in a few areas. And that depth that he always preaches about and which every GM always wants isn't quite there yet at positions where they really need it. I think offensive line is thin. The wide receiver room is thin. Obviously running back is still questionable, but we'll see how it all kind of shakes out. And obviously in, A week and a half, not even, you know, about a week or so, we're going to find out pretty soon what does it mean when they're out there and how far they are away from having sort of that competent roster to help him. That's James Boyd. I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison along with us as well in the DriveFeeble.com studios. Still to come, top of the 2 o'clock hour conversation with Greg Rosenthal. When we come back, a key reason why college football is indeed back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. College football is so back. We are back. Jimmy Cook, James Boyd. We are back in a literal sense. Eddie Garrison with us as well on the DriveHeeble.com studios. I knew college football was back because of one play last night. No, it wasn't just because of the fact that the Nebraska-Minnesota over-under was 43. Are we talking about the play in that game that was a touchdown in the third quarter? We are talking about that exact play, but let let me me build there just a little bit. Over-under was 43 for this game. Matt Rule taking over Nebraska. Andy Staples a little bit earlier mentioned where they are at with one-score games. I can't remember what he said. Is it 20 of their last 23 they've lost? Some of that effect. It's around that range of one-score games. And for the under, which we gave you yesterday with our plays of the day, was 3 nothing at half. Not 30, not 3-0 at halftime of this game. And then in the third quarter, very early stages of the third quarter, 34, 34-yard touchdown pass, James. That's that's nice, right? Pretty yeah. big. You would think, okay, yeah. well, we're Rolling, in the right, right? direction, yep. The 34-yard touchdown pass occurred on a lateral to the left that was behind 
the intended target, making it, was, it a live ball. So it was a backwards pass to the receiver to the right. Sure. Then the receiver threw it back to the quarterback. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> See, now, this is where well, I'm confused. I thought tried. I th- What I thought had happened was he was supposed to throw it back to the quarterback, but by that point, he had to make a decision, so he just launched it downfield. No, it was the quarterback. Was it the quarterback it. that yeah. got it? Okay. Yeah. He anyway, threw it back to the quarterback. Where, where I had gotten lost on this play, and now we've ruined the segment because me and Eddie are arguing over what happened in this game and what didn't. Basically, what happens was botched lateral ends up being, or botched backwards pass, as he mentioned, ends up being a wide open receiver yeah, because Minnesota is running towards the football, kind of like, you know, a peewee soccer team or a pop warner group where you see everybody just run towards the football because right. you're engaged to do just have a man wide open for nebraska for the touchdown yeah it was a running back toss to the right and then running back tossed it back to the quarterback and then he tried he launched it downfield to open receiver for the touchdown Who seven was, three. Like, just alone in the end zone yeah just standing by himself like i mentioned because everybody just ran to the ball and everybody forgot about the whiteout after that <laughs> you have a field goal to make it 10 3. I didn't know what you're describing this because it's like, after that, nothing. But go ahead. <laughs> it, is, it is literally nothing. And then Minnesota winds up scoring 10 unanswered, one on a fumble when Nebraska's just trying to ice the game, and one on an interception that leads to a game winning field goal. It was truly a meltdown. 13 10 is your final. Minnesota wins this game. Over under was 43. Big 10 football is back. It is college back. football is back. And that's why we love it. Because in all honesty, as crazy as the NFL is, you don't get a lot of those finishes. And I'm still I don't know how I feel about the clock stopping or not stopping rather on first downs now in college football because you don't get a lot of those wild endings. I don't think we are gonna get the same wild endings. The games are quicker because of it, but I'm like, man, that's the kind of stuff that you tune in for. Obviously, if you're a Nebraska fan, you're like, not me. <laughs> but I mean, it's always fun to sort of have that wild card effect. And I think that's why on a tangent, why I enjoy watching like the Little League World Series because they're not precise enough to make every single routine play. Right. And it's, you know, they're more skilled obviously at the college level, but they're not pros and it's not as precise, so you're going to have more Room for error, which leads to more crazy ending like the one we saw last night. You get a similar feeling. It's at a higher level, obviously, than youngsters playing. Right. But you get a similar feeling when you spend all of March into April watching conference tournaments and then watching the NCAA tournament. Yes. With just, there's no guarantee wide open shots are going to be knocked down at the rates they would be in the NBA. You're going to have mistakes and collapses that happen. And then you go and right after that, shortly after a week or two, NBA play in and playoff start and it's it's just a, it's a whole different leap than what you're seeing at that level. I'm, I'm totally with you. Right. And then just to kind of piggyback, Nebraska volleyball, you see that? Ninety two thousand out I did. there. Like, how do you follow up that as the football team with that performance? You don't. You you did not get the job done. I mean, there's no way to follow it up, but at they least a close out second your stadium would be a win, and you didn't win. And you go out there and lay an egg in week one. What a mess. Uh, did you see the Spectrum problem last night? I did. I'm glad you I brought didn't this up. Actually, you uh, didn't take absolutely. the floor. So, yes. So last night, uh, there were a 
bunch of unhappy Spectrum customers because you know they had ESPN on whatever watching the countdown on Sports Center to get ready for the uh, Utah Florida game that was airing on ESPN at six thirty blackout because uh, oh I didn't know it happened like that I thought yeah. it was like it had happened completely, earlier in the day no completely six thirty oh is when it happened uh, Spectrum and ESPN are now in a contract feud so here in the, here in the studio we can't. Watch ESPN or any so of the that's why, Disney. Man, I didn't even think about it. That's yeah. why we have other so sports you channels can't watch on right now. ESPN. When did this become a thing? Because I don't remember ever growing up where I couldn't watch. Can't watch ESPN. My area. Too. Do you remember faintly ESPNU or ABC? SEC Network. You wouldn't be able to get SEC either. Network either. Do you remember vaguely? Like I understand that for for most of our listening audience, it varies between like we're, we're the eras are going to be from memories but I, I remember vividly in like you know mid to late 2000s you'd get that announcement of attention direct tv customers uh whatever uh, fox sports one is holding out and you might not be able to watch their coverage of college football this season call 1-800 something <laughs> to get it fixed like do, do you remember that happening yeah i do but i, I feel like the rate at which it goes up now because it seems like every week someone can't watch the game. I remember when I wasn't traveling for the preseason and Mike Chap hit me up because he's like, I can't get the game because of some dispute <laughs> with my company. What do you have? And I was like, I got YouTube TV. So, Oh, the Colts game. Yeah. So that that would have been um, uh, the Buffalo opener. But it would have been an issue with Fox and, and CBS for, I don't know if it was Spectrum subscribers or, or who it was. But yes, I know what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, what are you talking about? I'm watching the game right now or I'm going to watch it. But it was YouTube TV. And they didn't have a dispute, right? So he had to get like a seven day free trial <laughs> and then cancel it did so you, he could watch the game. Did you walk Chappie through? No, no. Or did he? Did he? No, Chappie's good with technology. I mean, I, actually, I, I, that's, actually what, that's what good. I've heard. I just there's yeah. two pathways that story goes. Either oh, well, I'll be Chappie's honest, able to navigate it cleanly, or you're having to step in and, and help him virtually. Or it goes the Bob Kravitz route. Love Bob, but he knows this, and we get on about this a lot. And he'll say it himself, Chap. He's technology savvy. Bob, he's going to ask for help, and we're going to get him across the finish line. But in all seriousness, it, it got to the point where I seriously thought, and it doesn't really matter now because I think Chap got it figured out, or at least he would watch all the games, and if he isn't, I was going to tell him, here's my information, log in, because there's no way the guy who's covered the team for 40 years should not be able to watch the team. I was going to be like, you can have my information, the password to log in, and watch my own account while I watch it as well so we can both get the game. And I just I just don't remember ever this, this being such a big deal and it's so prevalent now because I got a lot of complaints about that when I was covering the Pacers. It was the same thing where it's like Bally Sports or whatever. If I don't have this certain cable company i can't watch my local team which is down the street from me yes and i, I had to deal with that a lot last season because i was like wait a second i didn't have to worry about this i was at the, all the games now i'm not and i can't watch it i um i found ways to watch the pacers believe it at that but youtube tv does not uh does not carry ballet and it's the same thing if you're a reds fan you you wouldn't get them through youtube tv you have to either which they launched this what Last year, I think, Eddie, where you could subscribe just through the app on Bally. Is that right? You could just pay a fee and be able to watch mm, Pacers or Reds. Yes. Can't remember if it was last year or when it was. but that, but that, was that last became, year, I know that. That yeah. became an item of possibility. But I will say, if you're thinking about cutting the cord, and this is not a, like, clearly, I'm not doing ad reads for YouTube TV, but <laughs> I've been happy 
the the monthly payment for all the channels that I want is not bad. The only complaints that I have are again no Bally. So if you're a Reds fan, you're kind of out of luck there. And the multi-view they just launched. I know why. I'm not going to get in the weeds of this and waste a segment of it, but I want to be able to pick the games I put on the screen. I agree with that. And yes. if that's not an option for Sunday Ticket, it's useless. then I'm going to be very mad because I went in with some friends and we we split Sunday Ticket and not going to be a happy Jay Cook over here if that winds Will up you let me know. Case. I'll talk to the league office and, and oh, please. put yeah, up you these got, two you got ties. You got yeah, I'll ties. put these I two dupes up yeah. and, and let them know, hey, my buddy needs to be able to watch these games or else. And so, if they wind up with a holdout, just cancel the subscription. <laughs> You can do that. There's uh, cancel anytime. Um, anyway, so last night Spectrum sent out a tweet or an X or whatever we're calling these a post. X's. They're posts. I yeah. think is what they're going with. Yeah. This was their post at 8:30 last night. The Walt Disney Company has removed their programming from Spectrum. Spectrum is on your side in fighting hard to resolve this situation and keep costs down while protecting and maximizing customer choice. We apologize for your inconvenience. Learn more. By following this link. Horse apples. That's what I say. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, I don't know. It very well could be Disney's fault, but I don't. I never believe any side here. I very rarely believe the stations, and I very rarely believe the multi-billion dollar companies. It's that bad is faith. blasphemous. Thank you. Thank you, Steve and I. So here's the solution. Yeah. And it might take some time, but if Anthony Richardson becomes what we think he could be, if Tyrese Halliburton continues his ascension with his franchise over at GameBridge, same thing with Leah Boston in the Fever, primetime games, national TV games. Yep. And you won't have to worry about, you know, can I get it? Because the, everyone would be outraged, not just the people here in Indiana. Take some time, but I do think that we should see, you know, depending on how the season goes with Anthony Richardson, I think the Pacers have their, their first um, national TV game is like January 30 or something like that. The first mm-hmm. one of Tyrese Halliburton's career, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so... On TNT. Yeah, that'll be exciting. But until then, we're going to keep with our pitchforks up like, hey, give us our <laughs> local teams on TV. We need that. It's just so complicated at times. You're right, though. And it can ruin... It can ruin an entire weekend and it can in some way ruin seasons or, in last night's case, Thursday night, if you were a Spectrum customer because... You missed out on some high quality college football. Well, they could watch. They could watch uh, Minnesota because that's Fox. They were able to watch. They were watching football. Minnesota. Is back. Yeah, Minnesota, Nebraska. Matt Rule, PJ Fleck. The One under was ready loss. by halftime. What a glorious game! You know, could you imagine today's Minnesota team against Iowa's team last year? Oh, oh, oh man, you'd have like two zero. Some people want to see the world burn. Hey, so, so, and some Eddie people, some people want to make a little bit of money. Eddie <laughs> Garris is looking at under opportunities, salivating <laughs> at the idea of that dream matchup. It's two zero. There is no under for that, my friend. <laughs> we'll step aside. Be back after this. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Appreciate the YouTube chat, as always. They've been engaged within our streaming talk. Ask them where they prefer destination-wise to cut the cord. Fundamental Bear writes in, direct wait, TV wait, streaming wait. is where he goes. Hold on. Jimmy, you... Wow, you're chatting in the chat. See, so we are coming along. What, when we're, we're making improvements. <laughs> when we were in break, Eddie often likes to, as we do, poke fun at me. We have a good back and forth relationship. And he said what I thought that he said was 
Jimmy, you're becoming a professional broadcaster. But what he said was, Jimmy, I'm becoming a professional yes. broadcaster. The reason I thought Taking you another step. The reason I thought you said I was was because I engaged in the YouTube chat by typing. Oh, I thought you'd I see, seen I, that. I had not. But the reason that you shared was because you've made the upgrade for your weekly broadcast. Yeah. Bring some binoculars to the table. I know. I finally, well finally uh, decided to grow up a little bit and get some binoculars for the eyes so I can see the uniform numbers. Binoculars for the eyes sounds very weird. And, I know, and just, right? It, it sounds like a strange phrase. I know. Well, those binoculars for like do elbows use, and knees. Yeah. Do you use do you use binoculars <laughs> in the press well box? Well no, done. seriously, I well do. Done. And usually it's not during the game per se, but it's usually during pregame to see who's out there first. If anybody I think might be inactive, are they warming up? But also when a guy leaves the game, they're handy because the TV isn't going to show a guy going back to the tent and where he went for you know two minutes, but. Let's say Anthony Richardson leaves a play or something or leaves a series. We're going to know where he went or going to know want to know where he went. So I use binoculars a lot for that, those types of things. Are you locked into anything tomorrow, James, at say around 7.30 p.m.? I don't know. I got some family stuff I might have to attend to, but, you know, I can always ditch family. Well, I, the reason I ask that is because uh, Fighting Illini, Toledo, 7.30. You, you locked oh, in? You know you, what? That should let you know I am not locked in. <laughs> I could tell you like when Purdue plays, when Indiana plays. Sure, sure. I could not tell you a thing about Illinois football besides the fact that my guy Aaron Henry, the defensive coordinator there, had two, had a set of twins actually born to him. So shout out to my guy Aaron Henry, fantastic human being, great coach, has an incredible story. But beyond that, I got nothing for you. All right, Jimmy, we got to see if it's the chair or if it was just Jake. Is IU beating Michigan? <laughs> If it's if if James Guarantee No, 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 no. They're not beating Michigan. But I do appreciate Jake's conviction in his beliefs because he was very, very particular about Tom Allen not disclosing the starting kicker because that will sway everything. My goodness. What whatever will we do? Just saying the mystery, man. You think uh forty chess. You think Ohio State and Ryan Day is like losing sleep over trying to figure out who the starting kicker is for the Indiana Hoosiers? You know what's crazy? I thought it was fascinating that he mentioned Okay, Kyle McCord's our starter, but you know Devin Brown's going to play. It was a very weird. Like either you're just talking about your quarterback competition in a sense that you want them both to get reps and experience, or you're expecting to handle Indiana so well that you're going to have the luxury to be able to just play whatever quarterback. And that's what you I was want. like. Is it the latter, or what uh, is he would, saying here? Yeah, I'd probably assume the latter there. Although, we did see last night in Utah. I don't know how much of that game you watched, Jimmy. A little bit. They had a guy, open, it was like an opener. He played the first quarter. The other guy played the second quarter. Yep. So maybe that's a situation. I don't know. By the time I got home, I did a high school broadcast How'd that go last, last night? night. Went very well. Carmel takes down Fishers 5-1. It was a very fun game. But when I got home, it was already over, felt like, for Utah, Florida. And I was so locked in. Andy talked about mainstream treatment, main screen treatment rather. I gave it to Nebraska and Minnesota. Like I understand mm. that it was it was not the offensive not the firepower Yankees? wanted to be. No, I, I went I went college football last night. Uh, though the Yankees will have my attention again tonight because did they win last Austin night? Wells, Jason Dominguez, they did not. They lost. They played actually during the show. They played at one ten. Oh, I know. Uh, they lost. Oh, thank you, Eddie. All right. Well. Did your bet hit at least? Eddie had it some in-game action. It did. It did. No it run did. second yes, inning. Yes, it hit it for did. you. I'm yes, glad to yes, hear that. Yes. I'm very glad to hear that. 
a little bit later in the program, a buddy of mine sent this to me. It's a college football matchup that has loser leaves town vibes around it. Or more importantly, and more specifically in this case, it's loser modifies their name vibes. We'll get into that a little bit at 2.30. Plus, I want to get James and Eddie's thoughts a little bit later in the program on just the college football opening weekend as a whole. I know James doesn't partake in the betting side of things, but perhaps we'll have him evaluate some of the matchups, including the 30-point spread that is on the table yes. when Ohio State takes on IU. I know Eddie is very IU's excited about that. IU is favored by 30, in case you didn't know James. <laughs> I believe you. It's crazy. Yeah, Guarantee! It's, 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 it's a 30-point 30 point, 30 favorite. <laughs> no, Ohio State 30-point favorites over the Hoosiers. We'll get into that as well. But we turn the train back towards the Colts when we come back. Greg Rosenthal of NFL.com going to join us. We'll get his perspective on what, as James mentioned, has been a crazy last couple of weeks in the Colts world and where expectations are for them nationally in this key year for Anthony Richardson when we come back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Eddie Garrison in his bag on a Friday. He is. The captain of the ship. Throughout the afternoon here on Query and Companies, we mentioned Jake is in Portland for IndyCar. He'll be back in here with our or so he says crew on Tuesday. He claims I think, anyway. I think he's just slacking. You know, first week <laughs> on the job, still adjusting to the Query and Companies. A lot of pressure. I think he just ran away from it. Are you trying to put greeny like labels you on, to say on Jake? That he ran away from Jimmy. It's like what does I mean, this you're here mean? Too. I don't know why it has to exclusively be me. <laughs> well, he's with you more than. He has been with you more than he has been with me. I guess that's fair. I don't know if that's <laughs> and fair. And you ran him away, so care. we're never going to well, see him again. Remember, he's done a couple shows no, with you and James. Jake's got a... Uh, also, it was very unique having Jimmy sit in that chair where you're at, Eddie, but it was all fun. Did you miss enjoyable. Eddie? Of course. I hugged him when I came in today. Seriously, you can ask him. Facts, you did. So, By the way, um, I'm not going to give anything away with this, but I'm going to be very vague. Are you going to have an interesting story on the athletic potentially here in the coming days? Yeah, I got some stuff up my sleeve on a lot of fronts. You know, obviously the rookie quarterback, Anthony Richardson, what does it mean? All the pressure he's under, how did he get here? You know, what does he mean to just this franchise and even beyond that? So I'll have something on that for sure before the season opener. And then another piece on Jonathan Taylor, where I know people are going to roll their eyes, but I promise you it's not necessarily a – hit piece on anybody and I know some people looked at some of my questions in the press conference like oh is he just the gotcha questions no I think I'm going to really try to sit down this weekend or over the next few days early next week and dissect where everyone stands in this equation with Jonathan Taylor and what it means from a historical standpoint what it means for right now what it can mean for the future and 
if it doesn't get better, what is the plan or potential plan? So stay tuned for that. I know, you know, we're all kind of like, wow, we've been in this hamster wheel for some time. But the good part about it, I will say, is that when we get into a game week, by default, I have to be obligated to write about whatever the upcoming game is. So on yeah. top of those two stories, look out for some other things going on as far as, okay, what, is happening, what happens with Zach Moss and what happens with the wide receiver room and, you know, what's the rest of the roster look like for, you know, week one, those types of things. We didn't ask this question of Nathan Yonke of Pro Football Focus Fantasy Football a little bit earlier today, but I'll ask you a similar question away from the fantasy football ranks and more just on the state of this team right now, post 53-man roster cut down. It would seem like, A, if you were trying to draft somebody in fantasy football, but B, if you're looking for a complimentary piece or a piece that must work in order to ensure solid development despite everything else that's going on on this team, where the offensive line is going to be, Jonathan Taylor's absence, it would feel like to me the biggest key from an offensive standpoint of where this team goes. And in that same sense, who I wound up taking within my fantasy football league would be where Michael Pittman Jr.'s season is for the Colts this year. Bingo. I think that he is probably your safest fantasy pick because he is the most consistent guy and he's also the most proven commodity and i'm always about proven commodities especially in fantasy football where you know you can sometimes fall in love with guys who are just coming into the league or hey if you put him in this system can he produce to his credit he said it earlier this summer and it is true Pittman produces in any system and i do think that he should be in line assuming anthony richardson doesn't you know freak out and have some terrible rookie year Assuming that he's able to grasp an NFL offense, I think that bodes well for Pittman's season because MPJ, he really should have cracked a 1,000 yards so easy last year, but they never threw the ball down the field. So I think if you just give him a couple of you know 50-50 balls a game, his numbers are going to be much better just because, again, they didn't have anybody last year that can consistently push the ball downfield with accuracy. I know Nick Foles got in there for a little bit, but he was not accurate. So... That's one of the better things that Richardson does is throw the deep ball. It's the other stuff, the intermediate throws, the short throws, the check downs, those things he has to work on. But 50-50 balls, give Pitt a chance. And I think he's hungry because as much as we've talked about JT and we've already in our minds made up the fact that Pittman will get paid, it also helps if he performs well to get paid more. In that same vein, for Michael Pittman Jr., when you've seen observations through preseason and what's going to be asked as a whole from Shane Steichen and this new look offense, how vital is what he's been able to do, which is, I don't want to cast type him in as just a possession wide receiver, but he he's a sticks finder. He's able to know exactly where he needs to be. We saw it countless times last year, the year before that of third and medium, whatever it is, you're going to find pit somewhere to be able to move those chains where does his role change at all in your mind going into 2023? Or is it more of the same with hopefully accuracy issues aside, more consistency at the quarterback spot? I was going to say it's probably the latter because I still think that even with Josh Downs being that slot receiver guy, Isaiah McKenzie, adding some of that flavor, Pittman's still the most polished receiver that they have and the most versatile. He can play in the slot. He can play on the outside. Now, he's in a speedster. He's not going to outrun you. But again, those 50-50 balls, using his big body to 
have contested catches, all those things help him and I think allow him to continue to be that number one guy in that room. And so to me, that's the biggest thing. Going back to JT for just a second, Jimmy Cook, James Boyd here, Query and Company. A little bit later within this segment, Greg Rosenthal, ESPN.com, will join us. Matthew Poole wrote into us about an hour ago. You interacted with this. I'm only just seeing it. But he'd asked you, myself, and Jake, hey, guys, can't find an answer to this anywhere. If JT were to ever tell his side of the story, could he just come out and talk to the media himself, or does he need permission from the Colts to do so? I know you answered this, but let's start there. He he can do it whenever he wants, correct? Yeah, and just to let everyone know, the only time you really can't talk is if you're in like the concussion protocol. Even if you go on IR or something, you can talk. A team can't stop you from talking because in theory, what's this, who's to say I couldn't just call and talk to somebody and do an interview if they're willing to do it? It all comes down to if you're willing to do it. So with JT, he isn't obligated to talk. Now, there is a certain distinction with that. You know, If you're on the active roster and you're healthy enough to play, then you do have to talk at least, I believe, once a week, you know, with us in the media. So that's why we do have like the scheduled days, for example, with Anthony Richardson, Shaquille Leonard, JT for a while before all this to kind of happen. The bigger name guys only talk once a week because otherwise we'd be talking to them every single day. But in theory, you can talk to these guys whenever you want to when you're in the locker room if they're playing. And so just because he isn't playing doesn't mean he doesn't have to talk. He's just not obligated to. But he can say whatever he wants. He can say his side of the story whenever he wants. And honestly, I would prefer that because we've heard so much from everyone else. And I think one of the things that might intimidate JT with that approach in in talking is if these mics get in front of me, I'm going to have to say something that's real. And if I don't, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like he's been that Boy Scout answer Captain America type of figure where he says all the right things and then now after everything that's kind of transpired we know where you stand it's can you find a way to articulate that and voice your opinion without it becoming you know just more lip service or stuff that we're never going to actually believe if it was me in John Taylor's shoes trying to navigate through these waters and I know that at some point this season I'm going to have to be available to the media. What I would want to do if it's reached a point where I need to get my voice out to the public, I would, whether it's local or national, it's up to him, but I would rather have a sit-down conversation one-on-one with one individual to get what I want out there versus doing it in front of a media scrum where you're, you're still having like not to say no, curveballs or, or gotcha questions but if it got to a point where I felt the need I needed to get my story or my side of this negotiation out there I would want to do it in as controlled of an environment as I possibly could absolutely but the flip side of that is if you get up there and you have someone who throws you a bunch of softball questions and someone who's buddy buddy with you or your agency right. or whatever and nothing real ever gets – I mean, you're going to look worse than just not talking. So that's the caveat there. And, hey, JT, if you're listening, holla at your boy. Sure. I got you. You know, I have no if or uh, ands or buts about sitting down and asking you real questions. Not gotcha questions, but real questions that I think challenge you in some areas as far as, you know, how you feel about 
where you stand with the franchise, but also hears you out on other things as well because it's a two-way street. But I'm not going to just sit there. I'll be honest. If I did get that opportunity, whether it's in a scrum or in a one-on-one setting, I could not be doing my job to the best of my ability if I didn't address the fact that, hey, the players bargained for this and you need to be able to address that and understand that you know the, the franchise tag, the money you're trying to get, all those things are factors. And quite honestly, I would tell him, probably to his face, this probably won't work out in your favor. So what is your option? What is your plan? And that's the thing that's hardest to decipher from any of this. When we talked to Chris Ballard, we asked what the plan was. I believe it was Stephen Holder. He was like, okay, what is the plan? He's like, more or less, I'm working through that. Okay, we don't know yet. JT, what's your plan? I don't know if he knows what his plan is. And so those are the questions you have to answer. And I think we'll provide a lot of clarity for everyone involved, whether it's you know fans, media, the player himself, the owner, everyone involved. There's not a major incentive for the Colts to deal him just because they're tired of the headache, though. No, not right now. Like, like, not right now. It's not loud enough. Even if you mentioned earlier, you can't just trade him for nothing. And Ballard has said he's not going to let him walk for nothing. Right. But we're yet to be at a point where even a substandard offer, which would be maybe a second and a fourth or a second and a fifth, would be appetizing enough to move the needle for the Colts. Greg Rosenthal is our guest. Joins us here on drivehuber.com studios. You can get his work at NFL.com. Greg, happy Friday to you. Yeah, what's going on? Not much. Just another day on the calm, cool seas that is <laughs> Colts coverage. You know, not, nothing too rocky here. It's pretty pr- pretty calm on our end. <laughs> well, if they're not going to give you wins lately, they might as well give you stories <laughs> to write about. That hey, no no arguments there. That speaks to James Hart as he covers the this athletic in his own right true. for the Colts. Uh, Greg, as you saw things unfold for cutdown day, let's start with the Colts. Jonathan Taylor is not only not traded, but is on the pup and will miss the first four games. That added wrinkle to what's been the saga the last four or five months. What are your takeaways from it? Well, it's just confusing. You know, I I don't have a good idea. I don't think a lot of people have a good idea of, of what his health is right now. And when I hear the, the types of offers and the types of deal they're looking for, there's just a disconnect. This doesn't sound like a team that actually wants to get rid of him, which I get because he's so good, but it doesn't seem like a team where uh, they're ready to pay him uh, and that they let the emotions maybe get in the way. From, from the outside looking in, that, that's what it looks like. So, Greg, you've been around the NFL for you know, a number of years now. So how do you view the return on investment when you try to keep a player that doesn't want to be there? Like, have, Can you think of any examples throughout your hmm. time where you're like, okay, we know this guy is great, but because he doesn't want to be here and it's become so much of a distraction, at some point mm. we have to cut ties, even though we don't want to, even even though we the, the CBA, the rules say we can keep you, but it's just not the, the value that we think you are isn't that because you're not cooperating. Well, it, this isn't the NBA, though, like where guys force their way out, but the, but they're just so talented they have that leverage. Like, if a guy's talented enough, usually you don't get him at that big a discount. The, the disconnect to me is if you're asking for that much in a trade return, why don't you just pay him? Because uh, you're asking for the, a trade return that that is commiserate to a guy that would be making $20 million a year. I'm not saying they should be paying him that, but like you're asking for first, you're asking for uh, a top 20 wide receiver reportedly in, in Jalen Waddle. Like to me, that's, it's just crazy. And that's why, you know, I think Chris Ballard sounds like he's hopeful of 
settling these waters? Because to me, I actually think it still makes sense for this thing to calm down and for them to eventually pay him. Because I don't think $14 million a year or whatever it's going to be is a crazy amount to pay for Jonathan Taylor. Do you think it's more likely, though, that they know they value him and the type of player that he is? Do you think it's more likely that they say, well, from a financial standpoint, it's cheaper just to tag him next offseason, assuming he makes the field this year and performs at a high level? Does it make more sense for teams to weaponize the tag in that way, particularly at running back when you're looking at 10 million, maybe 11 million dollars a year on that first year of the tag? Uh, sure, and that's why, you know, I think they went into this process him coming off of down year thinking, let's see it and then we can revisit the contract and then we have the tag in our back pocket if we need it. Uh, you see Jacobs and Barkley to, you know, similar statured uh running backs playing on that tag this year. So yeah, that makes sense from a a team perspective. I I really think him coming off the down year when he was out there, the line playing poorly and him being hurt really has complicated this whole thing. And it, it had the team, uh, I think, in a negotiating stance that they just weren't going to get out of and, and him being unhappy. Like, James, you got a better idea of it. Like, what, what is the local feeling of, like, where his health is actually at? Do you think he, he will be able to play? Do you think he could play if there wasn't the contract stuff going on? I, I want to know. Yeah, I think – the how do I word this I think a lot of it has to do with I don't want to be here anymore and do I want to break my body down for a team that doesn't value me so I don't know how hurt or not hurt he is because he hasn't spoken to the media since June so I can't speak on his health but I will say when he had the surgery back in January we talked to him in April about it. He said it was a perfect success. And at the time, no one deemed that this was going to be some long-term, drawn-out rehab and lingering issue. So the elephant in the room is the contract dispute. And I do think had some money been involved, maybe we do see, you know, mm. like a TJ Hawkinson type of thing where he got paid from the Vikings. I believe he's the highest paid tight end right now. And he probably feels much better. Like that ear infection he had, eh, maybe it isn't as bad as he thought it was. You know what I mean? Like that's that's kind of where I'm at on it now. That isn't a report. That's just the, my, my gut feeling because I just don't know what to think. And unless the guy talks, it's hard to gauge where he is. And right now, I think a lot of it has to do with feelings hurt and, okay, how do I make sure I still get my mm. money without putting my body on the line for a team I don't want to play for? That's yeah, I, mean. I think it went sideways. Look, I work at the NFL Network. We appreciated the content Jim Mercer gave us that day where he, he goes and gets Jonathan Taylor into his va- into his bus, and then he comes out, and he says one thing, and Taylor leaks another. And that felt like the day it went sideways because that's the day where, like, if Jonathan Taylor wasn't happy with the Colts before that, just emotionally, personally, um, that seemed to put it into another negative level that, that – that you hate to see because it's not even just about money now. It feels like it's about respect, and you don't know how to how to handle that. Greg Rosenthal with us, covers the NFL for NFL.com. Greg, you mentioned this, that it, it's not the NBA. It's an entirely different league, and James and I have had these conversations over the last couple of weeks. So let's use Jonathan Taylor as the example here, given the pertinence of the situation here in Indianapolis. If a player like Jonathan Taylor is in this contract dispute, this holdout, and he turns sour in a way that you see in the NBA where he's flat out like, I don't care. I'm not playing. Like, I'm not playing for you guys. Is a team's mentality in today's NFL to acquiesce to that 
or is it still we have the tag and we're going to tag you, and if you don't want to play for us, then I guess you're not playing football. I think generally with the NFL, they draw a harder line. Now, it depends on the organization. Look, I, I think if they were getting a second-round pick offer and other teams were in this situation, I think a lot of teams would have just taken it. I think they would see, yeah, that's a fair enough offer. Let's, let's move forward. Because the only reason why you wouldn't take that to me is you really, really value the player and you really want them long-term. Uh, and maybe they think, look, we can get a better deal in week six, week seven. Maybe he'll come back and play and look good, and then there's a trade deal, and, and there might be something uh, to that. But I, I'm confused by the whole situation. I, I've actually been looking for like a factual answer of like how much does he actually need to play this year to get uh, an official year of service qualified and, and there's actually some interpretation as far as I can understand in that rule like he might only need to go out there for for one game and he could still get paid and he doesn't want to get suspended because he's making a lot of money this year he's only made you know only quote unquote uh, under three million dollars in his career so far through three years and this year he's making uh, way more than that four million dollars I don't think he's going to get suspended but at some point that could be a threat that the, the Colts have in their pocket, too, if he just refuses to go play. Lord have mercy. If they tried to suspend him, the <laughs> NFLPA, I feel like, would ride in on, like, horseback to defend that man, and I would have the Get biggest the story just dropped in my lap. So to pivot away from that, Greg, because as you can tell, I've had a great time covering all yeah. things JT. It is the most talked about body part in Indiana, I will say. I, I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> <laughs> but the other guy here who's drawn a lot of headlines is Anthony Richardson, the young quarterback, the raw quarterback. And as Ed Dodds, the Colts assistant general manager, put it, the kid who has blue chip talent without the blue chip resume. So what is your take on them drafting him where they did? and believing that he could be that next Jalen Hurts, you know, Josh Allen, perhaps Patrick Mahomes type. I I loved it. I was so happy to see him with a coach um, like Shane Steichen, who I really have so much respect for what he did in Philadelphia, but also what he did in in San Diego. He can do it all. Like, look, he made, he he was one of Phillip Rivers' favorite coaches too. And like, I, I just think he's a guy that's going to build around his player strengths. And so I looked at Richardson and I, I thought he'd go there or Seattle. And I thought he was worth it. Cause the two things I, I love out of a quarterback is, you know, you love the running ability that he has, cause it just gives him a higher floor than most people. Um, and his running ability is special. These guys are coming out each year and there's guys, you know, that they're almost players we haven't seen before, but to me as a runner, he can be one of the greatest running quarterbacks of all time, but he also has great pocket presence. And to me, that's like, I, I'm an old school Patriots fan, and that's Tom Brady. That's you know, to me, being able to maneuver in the pocket is maybe the number one translatable thing you can look at it in college, avoiding sacks that translates the pros. And to me, he has that. Now he's not he's not overly accurate, and he's certainly got a lot to work on. But the fact that he has that in the pocket presence and is so tough to sack, those are great traits to start from. And he's got a great coach, so. I'm I'm as excited to watch him play as just about any player in the NFL this year. The Colts the Colts are going to be interested, even if they don't win a lot of games. They're going to be fun to watch. NFL.com's Greg Rosenthal with us. You can follow him on Twitter at Greg Rosenthal. Greg, speaking of that, you had tweeted a week or so ago that the Colts have already transformed themselves from least watchable team to box office. Uh, I know a lot of NBA writers like to have their their league pass teams, like must-see teams throughout the season. If you were to give us four or five teams 
with Sunday ticket flair and flavor that are must-see teams this year, Ooh. who would those be? Well, yeah, I, I put the Colts there because I just want to see Richardson. I am fascinated to see this new look Ravens team. Um, I've always enjoyed, you know, how can you not like watching Lamar, but Lamar Jackson with three really talented receivers suddenly when he didn't have any last year, assuming Rashad Bateman's healthy, and a new offensive system. Uh, they're, to me, about as different a team uh, coming into this year that has the same head coach quarterback. So they're up there. You know, the commanders are up there. I love that defensive line. To me, that could be the best defensive line in all of football. And I think Sam Howell uh, could be a fun young player for them. And then I- I'm really curious to watch this year two of Geno Smith in Seattle, uh, adding Jackson Smith and Jigba. I really like the, their draft pick, their running back, Zach Charbonnet there. They're a pretty complete team. I just love the way Gino spins that ball. So those are those are three teams near the top of my list. You're a true NFL fan and a true <laughs> true connoisseur. NFL.com needs to give you a raise because you got through that. I'm locked into those teams now, and that was without the Chiefs, the Eagles, or the Bengals being listed out there. Bravo. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I'm watching them anyways. Time, but yeah, you're right. I, I try to look for the the diamonds in the rough, but Philly's up there too. I got to admit. So we're chatting with Greg Rosenthal. He is is a co-host for Around the NFL podcast for NFL.com. Make sure to check that out. Greg, I have to ask about the guy who's on Hard Knocks, Aaron Rodgers. What do you Mm -hmm. think of the fit in New York with the Jets and also what their potential is? I know there's a lot of hype right now, and there should be. He's looked pretty good so far in preseason, and obviously the Hard Knocks angle gives you something to kind of salivate over. But are we expecting too much from them, or, or how do you gauge it? No, I, the AFC is so loaded that it's tough. There's going to be a couple teams that are really disappointed. I think you could list off seven teams that have a realistic chance of saying, hey, we could make the Super Bowl if everything would go right. I'd put the Jets in that category, but i put the Dolphins there too, the Bills obviously. I'd put the Ravens there. Uh, the, the Steelers you could even throw in there along with the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Chargers I would throw in there personally. And the, the Jets have a great baseline on defense. I don't think their defense can go wrong. Man, that secondary is just its special, and their depth on their defensive line. I think Rodgers is going to be good. I think Garrett Wilson is going to be great. Two guys don't make an offense, though, and I do have a question if they have enough around Rodgers and Wilson. So that's the line. That's the secondary receivers. That's the running game in terms of the, the blocking. And that's the coaching with Nate Hackett, who's not coming off a great year and, and I do have questions about. So I don't know if their offense is going to be quite good enough to go make the Super Bowl, but I'd be pretty surprised if they don't win double digits. I want to get your perspective on one thing nationally outside of the Colts. Greg Rosenthal with us. You can find him on NFL.com. Do you think that football fans see Chris Jones this year? Mm, yes. Yes, too many times we we uh, we overrate these holdouts, and they usually end right around now. I would say like they usually end around Monday or, or Saturday. And Chris Jones does seem a little more dug in, and the Chiefs seem a little more dug in than usual in these situations. Like I, I kind of expect the Nick Bosa contract before the season starts. I expect the Joe Burrow contract perhaps before the season starts. I don't necessarily expect Chris Jones, um, but I'd still put – I did very much expect him to play this year. And if you had to put an over under, like I would expect you'd see him on the field in September sometime. And, and if you told me Monday he signs this contract, that wouldn't be surprising either. Cause that's usually what happens in situations. How valuable is he to that team though? Cause I know mm. the conversation is, Oh, well we didn't have Tyreek that year and we still won. And, but 
you know, obviously I would imagine that Chris Jones does a lot of different things for the Chiefs than Tyreek Hill did. Right. They're, they're built um, offensively on Reed and Mahomes and, and now the offensive line. They can survive without a receiver. Defensively, they're counting on their stars. That's a not a good-looking defensive line. That is not good in terms of their pass rush, whether it's on the edge or the interior without Chris Jones. He was playing at a top five defensive player in the in the league level uh, last year. So I, I think it's a huge loss for them. They're a team, though, that defensively, man, they're well coached, and they always improve throughout the course of the season. They always manage to coach up that secondary. So I don't think they look at September or October like most teams do. Like As long as Chris Jones is in there and he's back to where he needs to be, and I expect that, they're thinking about November, December, and mostly January. That is crazy. That it lets you know the power of Patrick Mahomes. It's a beautiful <laughs> feeling, man. I've been waiting for him my like, whole life. We'll be fine. Oh, yep. well, we'll just see you, you know, when, when things get real serious for us because regardless, we're probably going to win Head four of our first six games. Head to Cabo, Chris. Just <laughs> as long as you're there in December and January, <laughs> things will be fine. Greg, last thing on my end, your advice to Colts fans with the Anthony Richardson experience this Ooh. year. And, yeah, have patience. I uh, enjoy the ride, too, though, because, like, him on this rookie contract, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing how the, the offensive line uh, comes together under Steichen, too, because I think the coaching there up front is going to be really uh, important. But you got to be patient because the thing that worries me is I'm not so sure how good this defense is going to be, and he's going to be put in a tough spot some games trying to come from behind, and that's, that's going to be tough. There will be some ugly weeks, and I think there will be some really fun weeks. Last one from me, Greg. We've talked a lot about running backs, the depreciated market, all those things. But how excited should we be to see B. John Robinson out there for the Ooh. Falcons and what he means for like that new age of running back when it comes to being a dynamic runner, a great route runner, a great pass catcher, things of that nature? Yeah, I, I was telling everyone, I was trying to tell my kids in their fantasy draft, like I didn't even understand why he was falling to 10, 11, 12 in these fantasy drafts. I mean, I think he's a good pick for Offensive Player of the Year to lead the league in rushing. People don't understand. He's getting drafted to maybe the best running game in the league. That They got that thing locked down in terms of their offensive line and the scheme, and he is just special. To me, he's a he was a better prospect, really, than anyone that's come out since Peterson. Uh, Peterson was another level, but I, I would put him ahead of Barkley and what we've seen so far and what I've heard so far at the pro level. I, I think he's going to deliver, and, and they're just going to be – old school 1970s 80s football just running all over people i expect to see the wing t at some point then (laughs) (laughs) greg we appreciate your time man you take it easy thanks greg all right thanks for having me again that was greg rosenthal you can check out his work at nfl.com he's also a podcast host over there listen to that it's around the nfl podcast and he literally took us around the nfl the way he's able to rattle off names and players and positions and rookies is why he gets paid to do that because I could not do that. I could never, you know, name three or five. I can't, I can't name like five players on every team in the NFL probably because I'm so locked in <laughs> right. with the team I'm yeah, covering. I mean, but, yeah, but that all that changes and goes out the window once you're on a beat, right? I mean, you're you're so locked in That's the other that thing. one assignment that That's you why have much time to rattle off names. I enjoy selfishly that the Colts don't play a lot of they don't play any primetime games this year because at the very least, when you're covering your game, writing about your game, you can't watch all the other ones. They're in the, on in the background. You kind of see little clips on Twitter. But I love, like, Sunday night, I get to just be like everyone else and watch that game or Monday no, night you. or Thursday night. What's wrong? Mm, I don't. Can you elaborate? 
Uh, we got like, an anti-football guy over here. What is it? No, 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 I don't no, think. No. I think like, it's timing. I think yeah. It's times. No, no. Like uh, doing the Colts pregame, postgame highlights. Oh. You hear when it's a night game. I'm here until two in the morning. Mm. That's the part that you don't see. Right. That's why I was saying I don't want to cover the Colts at night. He prefers it daytime. You yeah. made it. You made it sound like you prefer the nighttime. That oh no, no, no. I mean, I like to wrap up my coverage of the Colts by Got like it. seven p.m. and then I'm able to watch the Got Sunday it. night game. Oh, and I'm with you. Yeah, Eddie. I'm team. Get done as fast as possible. See, I have a similar. I have a similar boat. Like, look. Yes. I feel bad for Eddie saying this. But yes, like no, from, a, that bad, from but... a coverage standpoint, <laughs> no, I love you. from a coverage standpoint, <laughs> like, yeah, prime time is where it's at. Like, I, yes, I, I would true. I would love for there to be serious, legitimate primetime games in the Colts schedule in a multitude of varieties instead of All right, pretty Jimmy, much a one o'clock slate. Fifth quarter huddle at one thirty in the morning, please. <laughs> I'll shoot you a text and make sure you're OK. Maybe I'll shoot get Greg a, a text. Maybe I'll get a DoorDash order uh, for you. you. I'm so I think I left that last preseason game, the one that was here. <laughs> The stadium at maybe one thirty because I was finishing up some stuff that I had to run early that week or something. So it is a sacrifice, but for the listeners out there, enjoy the early games this year because if AR is as good as people hope he can become, these uh one p.m. kickoffs will not be lasting very long because and, you know the league loves yes. quarterbacks, and if he becomes one of those quarterbacks quickly. He'll get his primetime game. And you still have the whole slate at that point as well of the afternoon window, those 415 games, and then, as you mentioned, getting an opportunity to see the action on Sunday night football. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, there's a college football matchup this weekend that has Loser Leaves Town, or in this case, maybe Loser Changes Name vibes. We'll get into that when we come back on Query & Company. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Drivehoo.com Studios, the place to be. Getting you set for Labor Day weekend. Along with James Boyd, I'm Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison with us as well. He's been in his bag. He's been playing to the audience Absolutely. Today, or at least the two of us, anyways, been playing to his host. Takes me back to Eddie 2011. G. He's, he's been rolling along. College football is rolling right along. Massive slate this weekend. We know Florida State LSU is the creme de la creme of that case. That'll be Sunday night. Looking forward to see that one. But I have to give a shout out to my buddy. Shout out to Colin O'Connor, good friend of mine. We were talking about this the other day, college football matchup, as one does. We'll have those friend groups where we're trying to figure out what the game plan is for college football weekend, opening weekend, bets that are being placed, all that good stuff. Can I get a guess or can I get a hint on which, like, uh, if is, it, is it in a major conference to try and guess which game we're talking about? You ruined my lead up earlier. With, You've with, already uh, teased it twice. I have teased it twice. So I would argue that you should be able to identify I was called it a loser leaves town, or in this case, a loser changes name game. So I will okay. give you a second. I, I will talk with James by time for you, and then you can tell me if you have the guess. But don't share the guess. Just tell me if you have the guess first. Okay. College football. I think I have it. All right. I don't need to spare time with you. I want to talk to you. Go I ahead. do. You're a great person, a great human being. I want to get to you oh, in a I second. Know. Eddie, what is your guess? Northern Iowa, Iowa State? No, but that is a great one. It's a good shot. I appreciate you shooting your shot. Admire it. Bold man, that is, one Eddie Garrison. No, it is Miami of Ohio against oh, Miami. Of Florida. Did you hear what that player said? 
No, I did not. As Please, a quarterback. Enlighten me. No, yeah, I missed this. Quarterback. I, no, but only the only knowledge I have of this game is the conversation I had with Colin about it. And I've got a bet in this game that I'll give out later. But no, if you need to find the quote, which is fine, because I want any nuggets about this game all four. But the proposal is it's too much confusion having a Miami of Ohio and a Miami. Somebody has to change their name. The loser needs to change the name of their school. Too strong? I agree awesome because stakes. all right. He's so here's the Red Hawks and the Hurricanes. It's not like no, it's the no, Hawks not, and Canes or Canes about, and Canes. We're talking about the the need for the parenthesis around Miami is why. Why do the Red Hawks of Miami need the parenthesis? Because they're in Ohio. But why 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 do they need to make that distinction? Because they're in Ohio. And because there's another team <laughs> of more prominent nature. In Florida. All right. Well, you can be like me. And when I did high school reporting, there's a lot of kids go to a lot of different schools. You might not have been that familiar with. And by the I way, thought that ahead. Oakland University was in Oakland, California. It, Oakland University is in Oakland County, Michigan. Yep. So when I asked the kid, "Oh, what's it going to be like to be in warm weather?" and he's like, <laughs> "Wait, what?" Actually, Jimmy, <laughs> Miami of Ohio was founded first. Well, so why do they why do they feel the need to put the parentheses then? Because obviously the U became the thing. Okay. Well, okay. I'm, they didn't develop into the you know athletic powerhouse I'm, of the hurricane. I'm treading into dangerous waters here for a number of different reasons. Because Miami of Ohio was founded in 1809. I know. I know a number of Get different him, people, include including my broadcasting mentor Rob Brown. Shout out to him. Get a lot of shout outs this segment. Who went to Miami of Ohio? So I understand that I'm going into dangerous waters here, but. The reason that the parenthesis is there in my mind, and maybe I'm just speaking of ignorance here, is because of what Eddie outlined, the dominance of Miami, and the NCAA wants to have that distinction there. So they get. why doesn't Miami of Florida have the parenthesis? Why do. don't we have the parenthesis FL? Not on, not on ESPN. Okay, not on ESPN, correct, but they do. Labeling on a bracket for March Madness. If those two schools are in the same region or anything like that, gosh one of them is going to have the parentheses and one will not. And I know you're not saying gosh darn it about my rant. You're watching Cubs Reds because rightfully so, wild card contentions on the line. But also, is there more money at stake now too? Is that what I'm understanding? No, no, just, no. I told you I don't. I haven't bet on the Reds all year, and I, ha- I still haven't done it. Anyway, Cody, Cody Bellinger three the by the way since '91. Give me the quote. This is from a Miami. Of Ohio, Ohio their quarterback. QB, Brett right. Gabbert, All right. sends a message to the Miami Hurricanes ahead of the season opener. We'll show them who the real Miami is. Yes. So it is. The stakes are on. Loser changes name. To be name fair, here is it on. is. The question was, the real Miami is where? And he said, Oxford, Ohio. We'll show them yeah, September indeed. 1st. Indeed. Um, um, I don't know if I confidence. believe him. Kane's favored by 16. All right, so here's uh, another thing that my dad gave me as a life lesson as a youngster. Taking you back I love down life lessons, please. Young JB. A lot of confidence guys who are very tough, fearless, and they still get beat up. <laughs> and that's exactly what's going to happen to you got to put Randy on a brave face sometimes. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, that's what's exactly going to happen. And, and this is hilarious. I heard this on a podcast once. I forget which one. But if you ever get in a locker room, and I don't know if you've got, been in this position I have as, as a high school basketball player, and your coach starts going down the hole, we lace our shoes up just like them. You about to get crushed. <laughs> All right? They bleed just like we bleed. Ah, they, they, he ain't said nothing about with the same ball as us. Uh, yep, exactly. They ain't said nothing about the scheme, the skill, the game plan. Yep. It's about the will of the man. And it's like, I ain't got enough will in this body to beat them. 
It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the yeah, dog, Yeah, see, that's a good James. for a Rocky Come movie, on. but not in real life. A lot of times, the big dogs win, okay? And that's what's going to happen with Miami. Even though they're not the U of the past, they're still the U when it comes to football. So you think dominant performance from the Canes? No, I just think it's going to be a comfortable win. It's comfortable more or less than 16 points. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go more. I'll say more. Okay, there you go. You heard it here first. Play the 16. Lock it in. Lock it in, baby. <laughs> so am I being outlandish? I'm not being outlandish, am I? Clearly, if the quarterback of the Red Hawks is saying that we're the real Miami. But he was asked, Jimmy. But he said it. It's not like he went out of his way to say it. I feel like he was sitting on that one. He was excited for the question, ready to go. How is he supposed to know that question's coming? I don't know. Because it's, cause hey, my, James, it's Miami tell, versus Miami. Do you tell Miami players off. when you're going to ask them a question? Hey, I'm going to ask you this later. But you know the stakes of a big game. You get it. You understand? It's a big game for the Red Hawks. Any game's a big That's game true. for them. That's true. And no, I do not tell players what I'm going to ask them exactly. ahead of time. See? Jimmy, come on. I, that's because he's a man of integrity. And you're an antagonizer. No, he's a man of good faith. <laughs> I'm a man of many things, but it, it depends on the moment. Because in all seriousness, when I was in that Chris Ballard press conference, I don't like to be that way but yeah. you have to when you get those chances ask the real questions this is like this question we're talking about who's the real Miami that's kind of just like a no, no, we're softball not. that he should have just avoided sure but it makes He's for a good headlines student. at on, the next now. at the next but level also, I, in all seriousness I hold the quarterback of a college team to yes. the highest because they usually talk to the most out of anybody you would think the, the answer would be they're a great program we're just focused on our side of things and, and ready to go out there but i also like the fact that he said it because it's not going to change the outcome of the game no it's not at all so yeah i will still come out there well we still the real miami duh because they were founded first there you go That's like i said earlier i told you it's the same thing with like when dylan brooks is going off on lebron and all that and they're like <laughs> he ducked away kind of don't poke the bear and they're like oh my god he never t-. he should have came out they lost that series say he's still old he good, but he's still old. Kind of stick to your guns. Yeah, you get a lot more respect that way. And you're more memeable. <laughs> I think you were more concerned about the latter than the former there. I mean, there you go. The memeability of Look, any player, I think, is pretty big. You on go, your I would list. come out there and say, I'm still the real Miami. <laughs> you know, they just, you know, I, I would say whatever, but I wouldn't concede. Oh, no. So by majority, uh, loser change his name. I. Anybody with me? All right. Loser change his name. No. 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 All right. Well. That just killed the whole segment. Thanks, guys. Uh, let's shift back towards the Indianapolis Colts. James Boyd is with us. Of course, you can subscribe, subscribe to his work in The Athletic. You can go to theathletic.com and do that. Well, and you don't have to come feel, after James we'll say, like that. That's, that's how you that's, feel that's, when that's you read my stuff. Hey, look, I'm not going to lie. These last few days, they had The transition was too come, fast. Come on, no, no, that's how it feels if you drafted JT in fantasy. I yeah. traded for him, so it's okay. Well. He's playing the long game. That's your keeper league. Smart yeah. man. Yeah. Smart yeah. man. There's all kind of angles with fantasy football. Eddie's playing the long game there. When you looked at this wide receiver room, are we overreacting with the thought that there's four guys there, even though there's still bodies in the practice squad? Are we overreacting at what this wide receiver room is going to look like going into week one? I don't think you're overreacting. I think that had you seen more from Alec Pierce in the preseason, you'd feel better about it. But there's reason to be concerned about it, quite frankly. And so we'll see how it looks, but I've just come to the conclusion that this team is not going to be very good this season. And so, as I'll say this to any Colts players listening, if you are, prove me wrong. Like, it's not personal. Prove me wrong. 
But I I had him at five wins this season, five and twelve. And I think that because you're gonna go through some growing pains at quarterback, you're thin at wide receiver, you're thin in your offensive line, your running back position is still kind of in limbo without JT. And so and you're I didn't even mention cornerback where you're really, really young. So I just don't see how all that can come together and gel and mesh and turn into a lot of wins. So I would say five is where I'm at, max probably seven wins. That's why it concerns me so much, that room in particular, because there's not a lot you can do to fix it. Like, even if the Colts have shown time and time again they're not a team that necessarily is going to go panic towards the free agent market, but like you look at what's out there, if they were to go that route, past his prime Kenny Galladay, a past his prime Sammy Watkins, like that, like that's that's what you're looking at. Yes, that's my Chiefs color showing. I do consider it there being a prime window for Sammy Watkins, even though he couldn't stay healthy. I'm partial no, to Sammy Watkins. I'm not even but, saying but that, you're but wrong. That's the, but your eyes got big for a second. No, I, I, my eyes got big because I forgot <laughs> about him being in the NFL. Like he, you know, he's a guy who's kind of been around Fair. a little bit. And I also say that because, and I'm not, you know, Phil Dorsett also there, but yeah, like, and I do want to make it clear I'm not going to disrespect a professional. Player. No, I understand that. I just hadn't known that he was in the NFL anymore, but. Colts legend. You can't set. just fill in with anybody. Not Sammy Watkins. Because you don't have the quarterback yet, if that makes right. sense. You know, when you have a Joe Burrow, when you have a Josh Allen, when you have a Patrick Mahomes more than anybody, maybe you can plug and play some of the older receivers or some player they didn't work out somewhere else. But I would say, you know, you don't want to gamble with that with the Colts. And, and again, I think they've sort of accepted that where they're at right now is not going to be a very good team. So... You know, if we go out there and we are able to evaluate some young cornerbacks, obviously the young receivers that we have and other skill position players, the tight ends, yeah. and we see, okay, maybe Drew Ogletrees can be a dude for us going forward. Maybe Alec Pierce is a guy we can depend on as far as Josh Downs as well. Oh, maybe Daryl Baker Jr., maybe Dallas Flowers. If somebody steps up and you know, okay, at least we have a few pieces for the future figured out, then we can kind of go back to the drawing board and really, in my opinion – kind of strip this thing and, and, and start that rebuild. They've avoided that word so much, but I think that it's it's valid to at least acknowledge that after this season, some hard decisions have to be made about guys' futures, not only what it means for the team financially or for their growth, but for even for the players themselves. A guy like Buck probably doesn't want to be around for a rebuild because a rebuild would mean ending his career on a team that's not winning. Jimmy, I think I need to make a new hockey. And just anytime we need to play it, we'll play it. Um, of Chris Ballard, we've got work to do. We always have work to do here on Clearing We've got Company. work to do. I support you we'll utilizing that. that as a hotkey. We'll work through that. Hey, we got to We got to work through it. We got to. I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> You're signaling me to go to break. Do you want to do more Chris Ballardisms now, or do you want to take a break real quick? We can go to break. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will Frickin have bets to close out. What has been a fun Friday getting you set for Labor Day weekend. College football has returned. We'll have bets for you across the way when we come back. Ordinarily, I don't give full commentary on the music because the podcast audience can't get it. Pitbull is very polarizing for a lot of people because it feels like he's cringy at times and it's just not for everybody. Just a vibe, man. But it is a vibe. And Eddie is still rolling on a Friday. Mr. Worldwide. 
<laughs> Eddie doing his best Mr. 305 uh, work there. That was the... That deserves my, to be cut. You're not going to do it, but no, that deserves that to be cut the, as a hotkey no, from That was here the Miami the of Ohio version. <laughs> <laughs> Catch that reference. <laughs> Let's get to some bets and then some college football final thoughts and what should be a fun weekend. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my... F- this is how I win. Today's plays of the day. First with baseball, we're going to take the Baltimore Orioles on the money line over the Arizona Diamondbacks. Also going to take the Houston Astros on the money line over the New York Yankees. In that same game, because I'm just looking for something to put a smile on my face, the Martian has invaded. Jason Dominguez finally getting the call up by the Yankees. Is he going yard? We're taking him to go yard. Over half a home run. That's that... that Language always makes me laugh, but over half a home run. So one home run at least for James Dominguez. That at plus 500. Juice, college football, under 59 on the total for Missouri State at Kansas. And Miami in Florida gets to keep their name, but the Red Hawks cover. Give me plus 16 and a half. Miami of Ohio against Miami tonight. Eddie, do you have anything that's... Up your sleeve this evening or this weekend? I do. I've got two college prop bets for tonight, both quarterbacks. I got 11.01 is the kickoff time. Hawaii and Stanford. I will take Braden Schrager. He's the quarterback for Hawaii. I always forget their mascot, by the way. Uh, I'll take him over 252.5, and I will take Hawaii on the money line. I think they're poised for an upset here against Stanford, who should not be great offensively, and that's what uh, the strong suit is with uh, Hawaii. On the other hand here, in that Miami-Florida game, uh, Gilbert, I forget the first name already. You think it's Garrett? Can't help you. (laughs) Brett. Brett Gabbert. There you go. Brett Gabbert taking over 154.5 passing yards to the bank. I like it. it. I like it. Guarantee. Rapid fire real quick here. Purdue, Fresno State, Boilers favored by three and a half. Any thoughts from either of you? They cover. All right. James says Boilers cover. I'll take the Boilers to win that outright. IU and Ohio State. Buckeyes favored by 30. Give me the 30. Give me the 30. IUFB. Let's go. Give me the 30 for IU. I'm more interested to know what IU's team total Jake is. Jake predicted earlier this week that IU's going to beat Michigan in the big house, and you're giving me side-eye for scooping 30 points against the Buckeyes? I mean, I'm the crazy one. I don't think that either one is a good stance <laughs> to be on, but I will say I'm very interested to find out who the starting kicker is for the Hoosiers this year. I need to know. <laughs> you're on the edge of your seat. I'm a reporter, man. I need to someone to report who it is. Source. Team source. Somebody spill the beans. For you, final thoughts. We're going to have you Tuesday. Is that locked in? Maybe still up in the air? Still up in the air. We'll okay. figure it out. All right. So let's say that we don't have you Tuesday. We have about two minutes left. That means we would not have three hours worth of James Boyd content for Colts week one. Your thoughts on the look ahead. I know you're going to watch college football this weekend. Enjoy the Labor Day weekend. But your thoughts on the look ahead to week one for the Colts. They haven't won a season opener since 2013. My junior year of high school. I graduated so high school that year. Yeah. Do they get yep. it done? I know it's a tall task. The defending AFC champs, or AFC South champs coming in. I mean, that would be quite a way for Anthony Richardson to start his career. 
So we'll see. And it's also his first home game. So I'm excited for that and to see the atmosphere and the buzz because there's always buzz in season openers. But obviously, as you all know, it's different. This feels different because it is different. You're trusting a 21-year-old, probably one of the youngest team captains in franchise history to go out there and take a step into a new era. Couldn't have said it better myself. We're going to have full in-depth coverage, of course, countdown to Colts week one all of next week. And of course, full slate of college football action as well. IU Ohio State, as we mentioned, scoop the 30 there, but 2.30 coverage begins on our sister station, WIBC. And of course, there's a full slate of college football action this weekend, including Virginia at Tennessee and West Virginia at Penn State. James, it's always good to have you in here. I hope that Illinois makes it good against Toledo, a game that you just found out was happening about a couple hours ago. Your boy will not be watching. (laughs) (laughs) The ride with JMV is right around the corner. Again, thanks so much, Nate Atkins, Nathan Yonke, Andy Staples, and Greg Rosenthal. Have a safe and fun Labor Day weekend, everybody. Enjoy college football. We'll be back in here on Tuesday, but don't go anywhere. Ride with JMV is next.